It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms and the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best, in the end, knows a triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. Theodore Roosevelt This is the intro. Wonderful, wonderful intro. That's phenomenal. You should listen more. You should pay money to the Patreon account. You should believe everything I say. And never, ever question anything, ever. I love Big Brother. All right, so uh, we're here with El Logos, and uh, this is Average Joe as always. We're going to go ahead and get started. So I'm going to set the stage. We're out here by this beautiful fire, setting some ambiance. Here filming at the house. You're going to hear a whipple whirl in the background. Got a few uh, IPAs going on. and So anyway, introduce yourself, El Logos. Well, you said it was going to be anonymous, so I've refused to introduce myself. Really? Don't you think that that's sort of done on a contextual basis, given the fact that you just are, are speaking? So we're gonna, you're going to introduce yourself by the very act of having a conversation here? Well, just not my past life. Anything further on from here is fine. Okay, so like, it's a tabula rosa. You got the blank slate from here backwards. I like it, I like it. All right, so, uh, yeah, we are, film- we are uh, doing the podcast on a uh, capacitor mic, so you can hear some background noise that I might not be able to edit out. So, anyway, just think of it as a... A bit of a nature walk in your mind. We'll move on. So, yeah, my boy drove, what, 45 minutes to get here? Here out in the beautiful National Forest. Oh, we took a walk out back. How'd that go? Well, that was get, fun. Yeah, you didn't get any ticks. Me and my son, we got, what, about 15 ticks each? I think the ticks recognize the uh, Native American Siberian DNA in you. Yeah, I can't, I can't respond to that. No? It's part of my past life. Oh, it's part of your past life. Okay, gotcha. So, uh, yeah, what do we want to talk about tonight? So you texted me earlier today, and you said, you said, I really want to talk about the brain, which mm-hmm. is far different than what we said we are going to talk about. I've been researching for the last four weeks to do this podcast, but then you said it's going to tie back into yeah. your... Uh, well, your... sort of, because you said you wanted to talk about politics. Yeah. And uh, people like Steve Bannon and I don't know who else you'd like to talk about, but... Yeah. I think that's sort of... How do you say it's... Uh, it's vain. It's kind of useless. Because who cares? The conversation? Really, who cares about... I mean, not say who cares, but if you're... The amount of what they put to you to actually... Let's say what they put on face for mm-hmm. us to see is a portion, only a fraction of the actual truth. Okay. So if we were gonna, if we were only going to discuss what they've shown us, mm-hmm. it's like we're discussing a fraction of what they want us to know. Oh, uh, can so you bring really the bags on the side so they don't burn up? Bring okay. them over here. Thank you. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. So you're talking about it's basically a, an iceberg scenario where you get 10% yeah. on the surface and 90% below. So I think like if we're gonna have like, if we're gonna discuss things like that, mm-hmm. I feel like it's just a waste of our breath. And a waste of. I mean, we do it all the time. I do, do, I do it a lot, but I think it's just a waste. Right. Well, that you know, I honestly, I think that that might be a bit of a narrative that they want us to be able to to discuss. Those are things that uh, you're. Oh, go ahead and say hi to everybody. Hi. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm gonna have to edit that one down. You don't have to get so close, buddy. It's already loud. Where we're. No, no, no. Don't get, stay right there. Hey guys. All right. High five. All right. Be gone. Let me have a sip of the water. It's like, I think that this is going to be a video. I forgot what it's going to be. Podcast. Like, you get bored too, listen to me in the... Or 
It's a Ryan, podcast, I mean. Yes, thank you. I think they know because they had to go on a podcast app. All right, Bryce. Hooray. Right. I love you. Bye bye. So yeah, anyway, I think that the narrative that they want, you know, want us to focus on and to fight over, like Berkeley, as you mentioned, um, that's a ten percent. And so I agree with you, man. It's, actually, it's, Berkeley is something that's not really ten percent. This is something that's actually happening, and the videos that we're seeing from that mm-hmm. are videos from people on the ground. Oh yeah, for sure. So actually, I just actually, mean what they're fighting over is. Oh yeah, what they're fighting. That's if you if you read the news, mm-hmm. but if you watch the videos from Berkeley. These are people that are on the ground, and these these videos have like ten thousand views, right? Right. This is not something that the mass media is pushing on us. This is something that is organic. Organic, exactly. Yeah. And it's to be honest, these are epic videos. Yeah, well, you're saying that. I, what I meant by that, I think, was uh, what I was what I was trying to say is the fact that we have everyone has this micro tribalistic view. So like we we all exist in tribes: Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives. Okay, but yeah, we're in this this micro tribalistic viewpoint, and uh, so what's going on in Berkeley? Those are people who are. Uh, who are fighting over narratives that a lot of times are false dichotomies or false narratives. And I think that they tie into politics. There's, it's a correlative type of experience. Yeah, so it's a correlative experience. So, or, but what you're saying is it's an organic outgrowth of something that's happening on the ground. It's not been pushed by the media. But I think it's a symptom of what's been pushed by the media, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would hear that. So, I'll say right. both, probably both factions are a product of the media, which is interesting that we're talking about that. That's kind of what I wanted to speak about. Okay. All right, so... Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do a little bit of a segue and oh wow, you got notes and everything. Well, yeah, this is actually holy cow. You want to try to fit all that into forty-five minutes? That's uh, that's quite ambitious, of. my friend. I can I can go like through it really fast, but I'm not sure if that's. Well, let's just pick that's... a topic and, and and start from there. Yeah. So all right. So let's see. So this culture, right? This is kind of an obvious thing. Like I can I can explain to your viewers that listeners, listeners, yeah. viewers, listeners, they're viewing with their ears. Um, actually, what's interesting about the brain, uh, uh-huh. this is not anything related to what I wrote down. Yeah. Um, they had this experiment where rewired, so there was a rat's brain, and they rewired. Though, So, you, so you know, your, your ears are connected to the auditory part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, they cut that connection, and they instead, they put the optical nerve, and they connected it to the part of the brain that's responsible what? for hearing. Yeah. And the, and the rat was able to learn to see from that from that part of the brain that's responsible for hearing really and, um, it's that plastic to be able to it's to that it's that uh, malleable I guess you could yeah, say yeah, it's, yeah, it's able to word. learn just about anything from anywhere that's crazy and so that's actually um, what neural networks and AI mm-hmm. like the mod, like the reason why it's being talked about so much is because of neural networks well like, can I ask you a question about neural networks uh, yeah. to take a quick rabbit trail and we'll come back uh, I was thinking about the fact that Google and other companies are trying to, to create a neural network that's based on our own brain, so they have, basically it's a whole bunch of, of algorithms. This is actually the beginning of why that is. Yeah, but what I was going to say is, wouldn't, wouldn't a brain that's modeled on our own fall to its to its fallacies? So I was listening to a podcast, a TED Talk actually, and they were talking about artificial intelligence and neural networks, and they said that they're patterned after our brains. It's not patterned after our brain. It's loosely. It's very, very Oh, so loosely. it's just the pro- processing is so patterned after our brains. The only not. thing that is patterned after our brains ass uh-huh. is the fact that we have a bunch of neurons inside of our brain. Yeah. And uh, every one of these neurons is connected to a bunch of other neurons. Okay. So it allows for very complex connections to mm-hmm. be made since you have, I don't know, millions of neurons connecting to millions of other neurons. Sure. Each one of these neurons does a calculation. Right. So you have calculation upon calculation upon calculation that happens millions of times in um, some crazy com- crazy combinations, which is what modern neural network and, and computing is is loosely based off of. It's just like a I would have to draw you like draw you like a diagram. Uh-huh. But anyway, the hypothesis that our brain can learn 
just about anything from anywhere. Yeah. It's, it's called like a one a one learning algorithm. Like there's one algorithm that's responsible for learning in our, in our brain. And that was the hypothesis that was used for that's fascinating. neural networks. And it's pretty much true. Like this is this neural network can learn anything. Like it doesn't matter. And not to say learn anything, but it doesn't have to be uh, changed based mm. off different types of learning. So is that is when you say neural networks, you're talking about the functional uh, processing. Yeah, it's uh, just setups. an algorithm. Yeah. Yeah, the algorithm that, that mimics that. Yeah. But is that what they does that then kind of transition into what they call AI a little bit? Is that the idea that it learns on its own? Yeah, self-learning, yeah. and that's okay. So like uh, again on the TED talk, they were talking about uh, the fact that. You have self-learning, but computers are great at tasks that are yeah, set specific. within metrics. Yeah, but intuition is what a computer fails at. However, based on neural networks uh, and machine learning, it's that's where the fear is for a dystopian future. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I was just trying to get the correlation between neural network and AI, just you know, for us yeah. in the lay. So artificial intelligence is just like it's just the concept of computers learning on its own, which is a uh, like a subset of machine learning, what they call it. Right. And Neural networks is just, it's a form of machine learning that Word. is really powerful. Okay. But now, it, it's like a, comp, it's like a more, not something I really want to talk about. No, no problem. Like, last question. It's very, it. it's very techie. It's very, I got you. It's very technical. Well, the last thing is like, so the idea is uh, the Turing test, where if you, you know, if you administer a series of tests to a, yeah. a computer software. And you can't tell that And it's you can't human. tell if it's self-aware or not because it's so like a human being. But yeah. basically it goes to self-awareness. So where does self-awareness play into like AI and stuff like that in terms of, the goal. I, I think machine learning and intuition is the goal, but uh, it seems like when when we talk about these things in the public sphere, we're always talking about um, self-awareness. Um, you know, the cognition of, of, of self. So, is that a goal that, that you think computer scientists are aiming for, or is that just a byproduct that'll be found? So, I think it's actually a lot of people that are basically at the top of AI right now, uh -huh. like the top technical people in AI. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, you don't, I'm not talking about philosophers now. I'm talking about these are the people that are the engineers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, they have, they think it's absolutely ridiculous that AI is going to become to the point where people are actually scared of it. That that it's it, that it's going to be self-aware. These people are saying that. Yeah. Not the philosophers. The philosophers are like, they're scared of it. But these aren't the technical people. So, I think it's a little bit. I think it's almost like being afraid of um, civil war happening on Mars. It's like yeah. we're not there yet. Right, you right. Know? Yeah, yeah. So why even? That's a wonderful, ridiculous. wonderful analogy there. Um, yeah, that's what that's what they're saying right now. That's like we're so yeah. we're so the human brain is so complex. Yeah. We're not even close to how not even close to, mim to, to, to mimicking it. That to be to be afraid of the advance of AI. Is like, like well, exactly. It doesn't like, have to be self-aware to be dangerous. I think the idea is like if yeah. you like all the like uh, Asimov and uh, you know other science fiction writers. Their idea was that it was going to be dangerous only in the fact that uh, once it reached a state of, of self-replicate replicability. Rep ah, blah, blah, yeah. my my talker's broken today. Um, but yeah, and, and also a state of self-sufficiency uh, that it might realize just through computational methods and not having to be self-aware that it doesn't need us in a way. Not and, and in a way, we'll be the bug in the system. So in a way, I think f philosophers have a, a large part to play in, uh, you know, being able to warn us of what's going to happen in the future. Because if you have a, a pure engineer, he might not have the, the macro view of, of all the repercussions. Whereas you take somebody who synthesizes all that data, you take somebody who's like able to tie in all these different fields of, of research and say, hey, wait a minute, I spot a trend here. So it's not necessarily somebody who's in the nuts and bolts of writing algorithms, but 
Um, I don't know. I like the philosophers because I can understand them because, you know, they're dumb like me and they just uh, like synthesizing information, which is all this podcast yeah. is about. I know? think it's, I think really it's like, um, I don't know. I think, uh, to be honest, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that we're going to model the human brain. That, I mean, I, I just, yeah. Maybe, but not well, in our lifetimes. It would just be a cold. It would just be a cold calculation. Hey, yeah. you know, we don't. I don't need these irrational beings that I'm supposed to be serving. Yeah. Um, and it wouldn't even be a conscious thought. It would just be like, hey, you know, this this particular part in the equation doesn't. I think if into animals it. don't do that, and we're not even close to modeling even an insect's brain. So if animals don't do that, mm. right? Dogs don't do that. I mean, who knows? Actually, maybe some rabid dogs or something. But for the most part, animals don't. It's like, hey, you know what? We don't need humans. Let's get rid of them. So. Yeah. Well, what they do for the machine learning is they'll feed a computer. They'll let it browse the Internet, or they'll feed it just large uh, data sets based on, like, say, uh, human speech patterns, based on, like, media stories, um, so that you can have, like, say, a computer that does tech support for your cell phone. So, you know, you think the, the Hindu dude's annoying that you can't understand. Well, it's about predicting the future in a way. It's predicting what the output will be. Yeah, based exactly. Off its inputs. Exactly. So, and it, and it's learning how to synthesize all of all of its data sets, and it, like you said, have an output that's right. But my, my what I'm talking about is uh, I completely forgot because I got ADD. But um, oh yeah, so if it's if it's modeling, if we're feeding it information based on our world, um, say say you wanted to have an app on your phone that could say a media uh, New York Times wants to have uh, an algorithm that can write news stories really passionate and, and engaging news stories you could feed it news stories on say world war ii all day and then once it, say another conflict kicks off it'll learn the patterns of yeah things that we want okay so definitely but based on that what i'm what i'm worried about is that we will teach the thing aggressive behaviors and i say the thing that's a terrible concept it's way too nebulous but well um, I, will, I will say though that before it becomes self-aware mm-hmm. it'll be used as a tool because it's already the capability of it being used as a tool like it's it's going to be used as a weapon in warfare. That's for sure. Why not? Yeah, sure. It's going. It's going to be very, very capable of in war. Mm-hmm. So people will, you know, nations will be using it. Or they will be using it for that. I got you. Um, I think that's really what we should be scared about: is people using AI for the wrong reasons. I don't think AI is going to use itself for the wrong reasons. Maybe who can? Who knows? Yeah. But that's way humans will be using AI for the wrong reasons. They already are. Right. Um, for example, they have anti-trolling. They have an oh, anti-trolling yeah, yeah. program where they can detect. Who it is based off what they're typing, right? Just the patterns. Just in the there. pattern of how that person types. They're able to say, track down on, on who it is. That's not good. That is like a totalitarian state, yeah. Type of tool, which AI is going to be great for a totalitarian state. So you're saying that, that. The, that the danger isn't the AI itself; it's being used in a, in a wrong fashion. So yeah. Like, so like, say Trump really was Hitler, which he's you know not obviously, but you know he might be if you gave him the chance. But I'm kidding. Um, just to hear piss off. Well, I think you're going to piss off probably like a lot of intelligent people too because I would say probably the most intelligent people in the world or the most successful people in the world right now are more favorable of Trump at the moment, yeah. including Elon Musk. Yeah, Peter Thiel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can understand that to some extent. But then you have the, like Sam Harris and people of his ilk. You know, they're uh, incredibly intelligent even though they're godless heathens. You know, they find him. I, I think that anytime we try to apply a binary narrative to anything, yeah. it's wrong. So say, oh... Oh look, you, you, well you don't have Facebook. Like a lot of times you have this. This exposes the hypocrisy of the Democrats or the liberals. This shows the retardation of their whole mindset. No, there's a lot of things over there that really have you know make a lot of sense that we should maybe adopt in the future. Same thing with conservatives. So yeah, I, I just don't like to take a binary type of approach yeah, to that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. 
But uh, I see what you're saying. Anyway, so yeah, go ahead, man. It's interesting, right? We're talking about AI, totalitarian states. Mm -hmm. Well, today's culture, right? I think there's not really much to be said about it. Is people are addicted to entertainment. Yeah. Right. That's not really a taboo. That's not I'm gonna say taboo. That's not really like making a big statement. Of course, people are addicted to entertainment. You see people constantly on their cell phones. Mm -hmm. You see people watching TV all day. You see kids watching TV all day. You see old people watching TV all day. Right. People are all constantly on something that is they're absorbing information they're absorbing media they're absorbing really entertainment you don't really see people all day reading books right maybe maybe there is the case of someone oh like i know where you're going with this because you've told me before i really like it i'm excited for you to get this out there people that are just they're living their lives absorbing information that yeah. is that it, the goal of that information is to please them or pacify or pacify yeah it's like pleasures right yeah. instantaneous gratification sure like i can pull up some statistics now, this is based from 2014, mm -hmm. and who knows what it is today. Well, you guarantee if it's a trend, it's it's propagating a lot faster now than it was in 2014. Yeah, exactly. Like, you just think of this, the last election, how much nonsense there was. Yeah. Just spewing from people. But yeah, but basically, this is like reality, right? Yeah. It's reality that people are absorbing all this media. Word. Whether, it, whether it's TV, video games. Can I ask you a question? So, I, I, like I said, I think I know where you're going with this, but do you think that that's just an organic outgrowth of the of, of the rise of technology? So, like, we, you know, consumer companies come out with better TVs. Media companies come out with uh, specific shows. And we're, I know you're going to get into the um, how it hijacks your uh, your prefrontal or your prefrontal yeah. cortex and yep. all that stuff. Nice. Um, but, and I'm not going to ruin I don't want you to, to spoil the ending there, but what I'm saying is do you, I want to keep open to the possibility and ask you about it. Do you think it can be an organic outgrowth just of, of technology's rise in our lives? Or, or do you see some kind of like nefarious sort of shadow purpose? And if so, like, how is that instituted? But I'm sorry, you can probably want to lay down yeah, your baseline. It would, it would, I think there's definitely something nefarious to it. Mm. I'll say yes, an outgrowth as far as like it was going to happen, right? Yeah. Something like, yeah, it's, it was going to happen. I think uh, yes to that and yes to the nefarious. I think yes. But who's controlling it? Like I think, it, I think yes to the, to the nefarious yeah. because of almost the same. Organi organically, something nefarious was going to happen out of it because... Of the, of the potential of that being used as a tool. Right. So that so it's like you see like a nail and I mean you, you see there's like a something like a specific task right that you know some group of people want to do mm -hmm. and you see a tool that's available for their use. Yeah. And it's like and it's very easily obtain, attainable. Not only that you see other people using this tool and you see that not only that but the people that may use this tool are mm -hmm. admitting to using it. So it's like, huh, everything fits together. Yes, obviously they're using this tool. Right. And that tool, I'm, what I'm saying is media. Okay. Do you wanna, I'm sorry, I, I definitely hijacked your conversation. Yeah. I know you're going to get into what you think that all that plugging in does to a person's brain. And, and yeah, how, yeah. I totally messed you up, sorry. It's all right. It's not a big deal. A bunch of rabbit trails. We're in the woods, so there's lots of rabbit trails. I'll, I would like to say, though, that it's definitely an, an addiction, right? Mm. Not talking about the nefarious aspect of someone trying to control your life, but really it's, it's inherently an addiction. Okay. Um, it's 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 designed that way. Kind of based on the mechanisms of how your brain works. It hijacks yeah. here. Let's say, but but think of like a 24-hour day period, right? It's a, so apparently, according to this statistic, consumes around eight hours of screen viewing per day. Is that all spectrum cell phone, all spectrum, TV, whether computer. it's television, mm -hmm. you know, movies, yeah, or obviously like video games on their cell phone or mm -hmm. whatever. Average of around eight hours a day. Oh, that's annoying. Now you think of a 24-hour period. You sleep for eight hours. You go to work or school, right, for eight hours. You're a kid. Yeah. And then you're screen viewing for eight hours. That's a 24-hour period right there. Like, is that an, an abundant life? 
What's that living? Well, that's like the majority. I don't say the majority, but that's, that's a lot of people that are doing this. Right. That's like the average. Now, modern television, right? It's There's studies that are that, like the damage that it does to your brain. Uh-huh. Actually, France actually bans television targeting, targeting kids under three years old. Really? Because yeah. it just like uh, retards their growth or something? Yeah, it's, it's, it's stunts their development, their, their, their mental development. Yeah. Stunts it. So, so I want to to speak about like before. Obviously, you know, we can we can say all these things, but what really is it doing? Well, there are two main parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, the brain is very complex. We kind of we can't really we don't know everything about it. Right. We know that that the frontal lobe is basically your your forehead area. Yeah. The brain that's kind of central. That's what they take out when they do a lobotomy back in the day. Yeah. Oh, he's crazy. Take the Mm -hmm. front of his brain off. Look, he's calm now. But the frontal lobe though is that's responsible for your morality. Like your willpower, reason, conscience, judgment, decision making, mm. discerning truth, yeah, empathy, alt- even empathy, right? Yeah, being an, an altruistic person. Okay, that's your frontal lobe, like your like your will to live, right? Your personality, and anything like planning, complex, cognitive, anything that's you know decision making or even actually moderating moderating social behavior. So not being impulsive, like someone that's in, very impulsive mm. is someone that doesn't practice their frontal lobe. Like they're not really exercising their frontal lobe. They're so you're saying it's, it's malleable though. It's changeable. It is definitely malleable. Of, that's fascinating. So and, and just for a quick rabbit trail, um, a friend of mine, uh, he I call him my intellectual big brother, but uh, he's a miserable bastard. You know, I, I kind of am too in a certain way. Like I'm never happy, you know, really ever. And that's probably just a chemical thing. But so based on that though, him and I are talking about it's funny because we have conversations like this you know really deep and involved conversations and then he believes in gene expression so he thinks that everything uh, that you do is an expression of your genes you know the way that they've developed your brain and, and basically they're unalterable but the thing is he's, he's finally gotten so miserable he, he's a he's a millionaire and he realizes that uh, he's miserable he hates everything uh, he loves people you know he tries really hard and he, you know he's very empathetic but he's miserable all the time and so he said, all right, man, we got to change our stars. And I'm like, what well, do you even think that's possible based on your theories of genetic expression? And he goes, I don't care. It has to be. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's, I think it's a little bit r- ridiculous to think that you can't change your outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, but you're talking, I mean, you're talking about plasticide or like making uh, more- Your brain is definitely malleable. This is, this is shown to be the truth. I've heard of that. Or not heard of it, but I, I, I've even seen people who are able to uh, alter their patterns of behavior. But yes. It's like, see, so for habits. someone like me, I have- Habits, right? Yeah. But it's so difficult. Like, I don't have the- I'm not gonna ever say I don't have the ability to do something because I think it's just a matter of just of think of a think of a but, recovering addict, for example. Yeah. An addict, when he's in his deepest despair, he, of course he's miserable, right? Yeah. But then when he recovers from that addiction, what is he now? He's a different person. His outlook on life has changed to some extent. But I, yes, to, yeah, to some extent I'll say. But like Alcoholics Anonymous, one of their things is you're basically always an alcoholic. You know what I mean? Like, if you have that one drink, because so many people statistically slide right back into it. Like, yeah. uh, when I went to basic training, I was quit smoking cigarettes for... But does that mean that they're the same people? Like, is, I'm not saying the same person, but does that mean that what they are when they're deep in that hole, mm-hmm. are they are they in the same state as, as, as when they're in, obviously... Yeah, I see what you're saying, in the throes of whatever addiction that Come they on, have. That's, that, they can, you can actually look at the person's brain. You can do a brain, a brain image scan. The person's brain is different. Mm-hmm. When they're suffering, when they're addicted to something... Because that's actually that's really damaging to your frontal lobe when right. you're when you're when you're constantly giving way to addiction. I'm gonna mess with the fire, but I'm listening. Yeah, so it's like a release of dopamine, right? Right. And it's a constant release of dopamine, and you're doing it so much so that you're damaging your brain. It's it's disorienting your frontal lobe. Okay, but it's not like a permanent, necessarily a permanent alteration 
So even if you can't reverse it to the state it was before, you can yes. change it for the, in yes. a positive manner on the way forward. Yes, that's Understood. just like learning a new skill. You're changing your brain. That's truth. Now, there's the frontal lobe, right? And then you also have what's the, what they call the limbic system, which is known as the lizard brain, right? Yeah. That's like your your lower nature, like your base. I wouldn't really call it your lower nature. It is, but it's, it's your fight or flight mechanism, your appetite for food and sex, you know, fear, stress, lust, impulses. Right. Like worry, anxiety, anger, aggression. I mean, there's actually, there's, there's obviously a role that that limbic system plays, right? Fight yeah. or flight, if you think about it. Like, it allows you to respond when you're in danger. You know, it keeps you alive, kind of. Yeah. Can help keep this fire alive. <laughs> but it's the more instinctive part of the brain, whereas the frontal lobe is the more cognitive part of our brain. Okay. So when you, when you think of someone that's very impulsive, like they're, they're always getting angry, yeah, they're always getting to fits. Yeah. That's generally someone that's exercising more of their limbic system. Huh. Because your frontal lobe is, is where you, you say, no, I'm not going to act like I that. I totally... Let me pause this for a second. Sorry, buddy. All right, so we had to pause and fix the fire. So you're talking about the limbic system and how yeah. it affects us? So the, basically the difference between the frontal lobe and the limbic system. Now, obviously, the frontal lobe is responsible for our cognitive behavior, and the limbic system is more like the instinctive part, like the fight or flight. Yeah. You know, they, they call it the four Fs. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I know exactly. What, yeah, uh, it's F, it's fornicate, fight, flight, food, right? Yes, those are, those are the four Fs. All right. Yeah, think think of the limbic system, think of the four Fs. Yeah, my grandma's listening to this from heaven, so I don't want to say the F word. But. Yeah, the fornicate is basically means the same thing. Yeah, and if you think of everyone is is consuming all this media, like TV and movies are a big one. We can talk about music sometime later, but TV and movies are a big one. Well, it still happens to be that theatrical style entertainment or theatrical style... Can you scoot just a little bit closer, I think? Yeah, theatrical right. style television, right? Yeah. Um, it's actually designed to put you in what they call the from from the beta waves yeah. to the alpha waves. So, you know, um, to describe briefly a beta yeah. and alpha wave. But basically, but the, but how it does that is by rapid change of reference. So, you know, like the scene changes. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. what you see is, okay, you see someone talking, mm -hmm. and, then you, and then you see someone else, and then you see someone walking, opening a door, whatever. Right. The scene is constantly changing. Every, and like, six seconds, right? Actually, that... on average, every three seconds. Holy crap. And that's that's what is lulling your brain into the alpha state because it's kind of disorienting to your brain. So, yeah, the difference. So you can associate beta frequency as basically the, the frequency your brain operates when it's exercising your frontal lobe. Okay. Um, that's like a, you're normally functioning. All right. Yeah. So that's that's how they measure if this person is using the frontal lobe is when they're, they're operating the beta, the beta wave frequency. Now the alpha wave frequency is it's the frequency your brain your brain operates when it's about to sleep. It's like okay. a sleepy state. This is when your frontal lobe is switched off, mm -hmm. right? And it's a highly suggestive state. You know, it's interesting that you guys might not believe in like hypnotists and all that, but these hypnotists, this is literally what they're trying to do. They're literally doing this. They get people from the beta waves yeah. to the alpha waves, so they're in a highly suggestive state. So they can start throwing stuff into people's heads. Right. Like it's not. It's not like they're doing voodoo, right? This is science. And, uh, and actually, television, they know this. Yeah. So this is what they're doing. They put people in this alpha state. As far as why why they want people to go in the alpha state, mm -hmm. I can't really go. I don't really know too. I mean, I do, but I don't. Like, There has to be something inherently kind of pleasing, like pleasurable about it. Right. Um, well, if like, you're lulled, then you're less likely probably to change your task. Which So if yeah, your task yeah, is sitting there right. watching the show. So it's like you can uh, you kind of just sit there yeah. entranced. Right, you're in Scytherian trance and you're watching the show, and um, highly suggestive, your frontal lobe is shut off, 
basically your frontal lobe almost completely shuts down within minutes of viewing entertainment television. Like it's, this is serious. That's like insane. You, you no longer have that filter up when you're watching TV. So do you think that that extends to like say a documentary or is that more of a reality show so, type trope? Uh, actually it's interesting. Most documentaries, they don't have that scene change every three seconds. Right. A lot of times they'll have someone speaking for like 10, maybe 10 seconds or something. Enough, enough time to get a thought out. You just can't really get like an idea out in mm -hmm. three seconds. Oh yeah. Yeah, so documentaries, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe some of them do that. Well, I was just wondering, does, does the act of watching television alone or consuming media no, like that no. in general? Okay, so it's, it's, it's the way that the way they engineer it. The way okay. they engineer it. Mm -hmm. So watching, for example, uh, someone give a speech. Right. That's a, they're not, it's a not a rapid change of reference. It's the same reference. You're looking at the yeah. person speak. And they might alter their patterns and their, their Yeah, they vocal. might alter the, yeah. even, even the screen itself. Yeah. But the amount of time it takes to switch, yeah. it's not disorienting really to your frontal lobe. It's not disorienting to your brain. It's not like lulling you into a sleepy state. Yeah, it's a highly suggestive state and it pretty much removes the, your, your mental resistance okay. to new, to new, like, because when your frontal lobe is active, when you see something that is not right, mm -hmm. right? Like, let's say you're dreaming. And you notice a lot of things happen in your dreams. Yeah. They're obviously, they don't abide by any kind of reason. Like, right. you could be talking to someone, and then a different, somewhere else in the dream, that person that you're talking to is now a totally different person. Yes, well, yes. that's normal. It's like, it was like it was a normal thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, it's no, nothing happened. Now, do you ever log in your dreams the fact that that's weird? Because I've, I've, I've done that. I'm like, hmm, that's odd. So, the thing is, most people don't. And that's associated because your frontal lobe is not active. Okay. At that time, when mm -hmm. you're dreaming, and it's a, it's a highly suggestive state too. But really, it's your own, okay, it's your own brain that's giving you this this info. So it's not like. Do you think that's? Uh, do you want to talk about dreams later? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, because I, I was going to get into the fact that it might be dimethyltryptamine, tryptamine that's that your brain produces that causes dreams I in the first place. I thought that was fact. It's not. Well, like the pineal gland in your brain, you know, that's what uh, that's what all your shamans are telling you is your third eye because it used to be yeah. a photoreceptor and now it produces melatonin. Yeah. But that if you, uh, I forgot the, the scientific word for it, but basically they believe, and this isn't necessarily scientists, this is more pseudoscientists. Yeah, but I know. The thought there is that if you take tryptamine, which is produced in the brain, and especially uh, they think the pineal, and you take molecules and uh, enzymes, you have enzymes in your pineal gland that break down that tryptamine that you naturally produce twice. So now it's dimethyltryptamine, and so that's DMT. If you, you know, in case you, uh, yeah. you hippies out there, you know, like smoking that. But anyway, so the pineal gland's always been referred to. It's called pineal because it represents a pine cone. Yeah. So anyway, they uh, they call it the third eye, which is interesting because it used to be a photoreceptor. So like lizards and other animals, it's literally it can sense uh, light, and it's what governs our circadian rhythms as well. Yeah. So actually, say like some frogs actually have it right on top mm -hmm. of their head. Mm -hmm. uh, it allows them to, and some have two. So it's like the pineal, up, or it's it's the the receptor up top, and then mm -hmm. the pineal inside. But so the so I was going to ask you about uh, if you think basically when we dream we're on a DMT trip. So when you smoke DMT, it's like a, a similar and in, in, it induces yeah. a similar state. Well, I don't think so though because DMT is is often described as uh, fractals. You know, you see geometric patterns, whereas when you dream, it's just more kind of more continuous. Maybe like, yeah, like a mushroom psilocybin trip. I don't know. I haven't actually tried DMT before, so I'm going to tell you if it's similar. Well, this is uh, the environment I was suggesting that <laughs> I might want to take place in. But So besides the fact that theatrical-style television or movies are designed to shut off your frontal lobe, yeah, they're also designed to get us to feel emotions. Okay. I mean, that's obvious. Yeah. If you go to a movie and you don't feel emotions, people say that's a bad movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, man, that was a boring movie. I didn't... They don't say, oh, you I You weren't didn't. engaged in it. It's not, like, it's not like they said, oh, I didn't feel anger. I didn't feel lust. I didn't yeah. feel... You know, anything like 
it's not like they're they're explaining oh I didn't feel any emotions but they say it's a bad movie it's generally a movie that didn't touch them right didn't make them feel emotions okay well that's but they're designed to get us to feel emotions right or even like amusement amusement a lot of people say it's like literally is the act of not thinking really it's like you're not supposed to think about it amusement right it's like you're just supposed to be amused I never really thought about it from that actually if you think of the word uh, maybe I'm wrong but muse itself if you look at like the root word amuse yeah and um, that's like associated with uh, well it's, it's having a, an inspiration for a story that you're writing yeah or something like, it's some inspiration that it, but when you think of a muse it's like no amusement like no muse. oh I get what you're saying okay but yeah just the word itself is actually kind of tells that kills what's happening hmm um, yeah, so let's. What are the long-term effects of TV on the brain, right? Well, a study has shown that a long-term effects of TV on the brain is an overactive limbic system, an underactive frontal lobe, which is actually exactly the same as children who grew up in abusive households. That's crazy. So, yeah, if you look at the brains of people that have viewed TV for long term, and look at the brains of kids that grew up in abusive households. Yeah, they're saying it's exactly the same, which is interesting. Like you're literally being abused. Like, your brain is being abused as you're watching t- television. Right. It's damaging. So, so also some long-term effects. We get desensitized to a lot of things. There's a story, right, about this Amish kid. Mm-hmm. And obviously Amish, you know, they don't watch TV. Yeah. Well, when he was an adult, he left the community. I wouldn't say a kid. I guess he was a teenager. Was that he, Rum Springer? Maybe. Who knows? Okay. He left, the, he left the community, right, and he watched this first television show. Okay. And it was a Western, an old Western film. And, uh, well, there was a scene that someone was shot and killed. And when he saw that... When he saw that shooting happen, like he got so sick and he ran outside of the house and he threw up. That's crazy. Yeah, he would because he wasn't desensitized yeah. to that. That was like to him that was he was watching crazy. it live almost. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's actually interesting. He said he's it's like watching it live. Mm. Well, a psychologist named Steven Pinker. Oh, I've, I know Pinker. Yeah. By the way, I'll I'll I can give you the source for everything that I'm saying right now. Mm. I can give you the, the source for that. It's not a problem. Oh, actually, actually, I, actually, I advise if you actually yeah. did look into to the sources. There's a lot out there that I'm not even saying because a lot of what I'm, what I'm saying right now is kind of Base filtered level. yeah because of what I what's really what I believe is truth is a little bit more extreme than this well would you mind I mean getting into that given the fact that uh, yeah but not right now I would more fine. like a build up okay but it, as a side note uh, if you want to if you'd like to write a bibliography put it in the show notes and That's people fine. can go by and check it out well this guy named Steven Pinker right yeah. psychologist you said you were familiar with him this is what he has to say so basically, the visual system of our of our brain, mm-hmm. the visual system never learns that television is a pane of glowing phosphor dots, and the person never loses the illusion that there is a world behind the pane. So in other words, hmm. what you see with your eyes is reality to your brain, right? So with your frontal lobe turned off, yeah, physically there is no distinction between reality and fiction, for you, and your brain. Yeah, I have to counter that because. Like, say you're sitting there watching an ultra-stupid, violent movie. Like a B-movie from Redbox that's just... It's called Slaughter. And it was directed by Quentin Tarantino's cousin. And it's just everyone getting their legs blown off, guts flying out. And at some point, you're just sitting there, and especially if it's poorly done, you know it's poorly done, and you kind of... You can zone out to all this murder, death, and violence. Because, like you said, we've been desensitized to it, but we still don't see it as reality. Is that kind of where you're getting at? Or you're saying the fact that we don't see the pixels... Like, we don't understand that basically pixels are combining... Basically, your brain itself doesn't understand that it's not reality. Because they look, I mean, I guess you could say if it's poorly done to the point where it's obvious, yeah. maybe like, your frontal lobe is still somewhat active and it can, it would say, yes, that's So if you're watching, like, truth. Platoon or yes. Fury, you conceive of that as reality. Yes. Even with the, the, the subtext running through your mind like a ticker tape saying, hey, you know, this has been produced in Hollywood, it's been yes. written by somebody in their desk. Because your frontal lobe is being, is being shut like off. Synthesis, oh, okay. 
and like you're not really like you're kind of hypnotized at that point you're kind of like yeah i don't mean to get weird i'm gonna take my shirt off because i'm getting hot it is hot yeah, yeah. get that fire like two feet away from us yeah like i said you can do your own your own your own search on this but this is what a psychologist is saying that it's actual reality to us it's not just entertainment hmm. you know there's a lot of studies done on the effects of television like i can list if you think of just damage to, to the frontal lobe yeah what that means what that means well some of the things that are associated with long-term watching television is it's a major cause of depression decreases academic achievement inhibits speech development decreases reading comprehension increases the likelihood of children developing adhd that's obvious yeah decreases de- decreases creativity and imagination think yeah. of that if you think of a damaged frontal lobe right the, these effects are obvious decreases the ability to succeed 1980s households that acquired cable TV saw an increased risk of autism, which is interesting. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't. I don't know how to explain that. Makes you eat more. You have damaged frontal lobe. You're more impulsive. Yeah. Increases chance of children becoming alcoholics later in life. Of course, uh, more impulsive. They don't really have that willpower to say no. Makes men feel less in love with their partners. You think of all the like the sex on TV. You yeah. Know, you see all these highs. Even with pornography, right? All that meat. Pornography is probably even worse because it's, it's media, right? Um, it's like television, but it's designed to kind of take the place of your sex life. Yeah. Right? It makes women feel less deserving of being loved. Increases divorce rates. Increases negative moods. Obviously, like your limbic system is super active. Lowers self-esteem and confidence. Well, you're not, you're not as you're not as successful. Maybe your you know your self esteem got slower. Is that because you're uh, comparing yourself to the heroes on television? That's or? possible, right? Yeah, the cool kid in high school. If you're in high school and you're not so cool, and yeah. you, so you feel a little. Think of think of these like these nerds, right? I would say I call them nerds, but people that are super intelligent at science, mathematics, and they're ostracized. And, like, they're ostracized because that's not like what's culturally acceptable. Right. But anyway, I, I don't want. To yeah. Keep yeah. It, which is interesting, right? Well, actually, it also increases the desire for cosmetical surgical procedures. Well, huh. Of course, you see these like these already gifted genetic beings mm-hmm. that are now now they have after effects of you know whatever Photoshop whatever visual effects that they do afterwards that make them even look better. Yeah. And then people are watching this and they're thinking that this is how regular people look like. Well, I'm gonna do that to you in uh, the post editing for this podcast. You're gonna look phenomenal. Well, I'm not gonna have my picture on there. No. Because this is all audio. And it's anonymous. And it's anonymous. Not that there isn't 150 people who are gonna know exactly who's on here, but. That's, That's where you fine. get that many viewers. Or, well, I'm or, just uh, thinking about audience. I'm listeners. just thinking about the particular organization that we belong to on the week, yeah. one week in a month. Well, anyway, so TV, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you could say there's also a study saying that it doubles the murder rate in Western society, which I'll speak about that, right? Whoa. So there's there's a when you think of a dam- damage frontal lobe, you yeah. have more impulsive behavior. Right. So there was a study that they noticed that in both the USA and Canada, after TV was introduced, so you think of the 1940s, 1950s. Mm-hmm. So within 15 years of TV being introduced, the murder rates in these nations doubled. They didn't want to say outright, yes, this was TV that did this, but they hypothesized. All right, so they looked at South Africa. In South Africa, they didn't get TV introduced until the 1970s. Okay. So they hypothesized that in 15 years, their murder rate would double. That's crazy. And just as they predicted, their yeah. murder rate doubled. So this is the explanation that I, that I gathered. So people, right, depending on their upbringing, genetics, yeah or other factors, right? You, mean, you can even think of like your temporal factors such as daily mood. Well, you lie on this spectrum, right? You can think of someone that's very disciplined, has a lot of self-control, yeah. and someone that is completely impulsive and that has no control over their behavior. Yeah. Somewhere along that spectrum, you lie, right? Depending on, like you said, your upbringing, 
other factors, maybe how you, you're doing on that given day, right. your daily move, whatever. Somewhere on that line, you, you lie. Now, what TV does essentially is it puts everyone a oh. little bit down that spectrum towards the end of collectively, less, collectively less, le- uh, more impulsive. That's so sucks. if you think of and then well, I'm sorry, but that probably feeds into consumerism. I don't know if you've read uh, a Brave New World from Aldous Huxley, but uh, I do believe that you know that, that was a huge factor in their lives was the consumption of media. Interesting that the, that was in there. I haven't yeah. read the book. But well, Fahrenheit 451 too. I read uh, that one. Yeah. So speaking about and on that spectrum. Think of someone that otherwise would not have been. Hang on, can we put a pin in this? Because we're doing s'mores right yeah, now fine. next to our beautiful fire. So we'll be right back. I went ahead and record. Uh, so we're back from s'mores, but we're just going to chit chat for a second. Because, uh, yeah. But yeah, I want to dive the aquifer as well. Because did you see that PBS documentary where they did that and they followed the dudes above ground? I did not. I should have looked at it though. It, you'll like it because like, they, uh, they literally had to have uh, some kind of transponder. And the dude's above ground. It's this big handheld unit, and they're tracking the divers under the aquifer. And they're, they're like, like walking through. Or bo- something. Yeah, they're walking through like bowling alleys and crap. And they're like, yeah, the divers right below us. And it's kind of fascinating. They show the uh, the one diver that died down there, and he had, he noticed he only had like a minute or two of oxygen left, and he wrote a beautiful, touching note to his family. And when he died, they just left his suit there as a warning. So you had to read this terrible note, and you see the diver's dead suit because he got turned around. That's sad. Yeah. All right. So I kind of wanted I wanted to ask you as well, dude. I'm gonna put this. It's gonna sound horrible, and I don't mean it to, but. There's a black dude I used to work with, and uh, he was functionally retarded. And I mean that, like, not in the way he couldn't choose. He chose to be as retarded as he possibly could be. Very reactionary. You know, he kept calling me a baby killer for being in the military. Believed every narrative he was told from, you know, the Democratic Party. He, he couldn't talk. He, he didn't even speak ebonics. He just barely spoke. I mean, he's he just dumb. Yeah. And I say that maliciously because he he loves it. So he's the product of all that entertainment and, and the... Uh, amusement you're talking about he and he's just chooses to stay that way but i brought that up because i was trying to explain to him dunbar's number you know the idea that you can't hold more than 150 people in your head at one time is like a close relationship yeah that probably stems from like monkey tribe monkey groups and stuff like that so i was trying to explain dunbar's number just bullshit and, and he goes uh man he goes what's all that all that book learning <laughs> what is it what's it done teaching you and i said well it's like shining a light in the darkness and he goes what good does that do you and it kind of stopped me in my tracks, actually, because I was like, you know, what good... Some people actually think that way, which is interesting. Well, I, I get that, why. but I'm not making a bigger paycheck because of Dunbar's number. Like, I, I'm not... People think I'm really smart because I know these things, but I, I'm, I'm terrible at the application. So, like, my, my intellectual big brother I was talking about, he, you know, he's one of my best friends, and he runs the business I work for. He brought me on, and he's like, oh, yeah, you're so smart, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're going to do great things for the company. And I've done mo- mediocre things for the company because I'm great at understanding. I'm just terrible at application. So I, he kind of stopped me in my tracks when he said that. And he thought he'd won some kind of argument or something, which he didn't. But I was like, you know, it's, it's still like shining a light in the darkness. So when you look around the world, I see it as sweeping a flashlight. And you're like, okay, I can, I can see all this terrain that we exist in, you know. Yeah, it's, I think it's ridiculous to think that. It's almost like, why grow? Yeah. Why grow? What, grow, what is growing going to do for you? That's really what I think of it. I, well, I mean, growing is positive. Yeah. Growing involves, like, why exist? What is the point of existence if you're not going to grow? And reading and learning is just part of growing. Yeah, well, we can, we can really go down the existential yeah. path there. We don't need to do that. I don't know. I just, to me, that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. But, I mean, maybe that's kind of like a... You almost have to deny yourself somewhat to, to grow sometimes. You almost have to... It's almost yeah. like... It's a practice of self-denial. It's like a, a discipline, right? Just think of discipline. Yeah. You want to work out. It takes the act of choosing to work out. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's like you don't want to do it. Yeah, but it nets its own rewards as well. Because, exactly. There's yeah. there's rewards for denying. Even the way you feel, you yourself. feel better. But so it's, it's actually it's you're practicing your frontal lobe, right? If you think about it. Yeah, and definitely in a way. So practicing your frontal lobe, it's your will. All right, but I, we left off. I think we were talking about uh, the hijacking of the limbic system. 
Well, actually, I was talking about how um, murder rate doubled. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so and, it um, takes our whole spectrum and moves it down. Gotcha. Yeah, but if you think of that spectrum, right? So, like, obviously, TV is not going to make everyone a killer, right? Obviously, it doesn't do that. Anyway, is there a scientific correlation? Because, uh, you know, you often hear that uh, they've actually come out and they're like, oh, no, listening to rap music doesn't make you into a drug dealer. Watching violent, playing violent video games doesn't well desensitize you it does it i think it does, does doesn't make everyone do it yeah. because like i was saying about the spectrum right right you lie on that spectrum so and puts everyone down a notch on that spectrum but where you've let's say you're like this is a good example let's say you're driving on a road right someone cuts you off now what do you do now if let's say you're on the on this side of the spectrum where you're you have total self-control so you you brush it off mm -hmm. no big deal it doesn't yeah. even affect you it doesn't matter that's Self-control. Now, let's say you're a little bit less self-control. You still have self-control, but you're not as as much. Now you get angry, a little bit angry, right? You're like, man, clench your fist. You know, maybe you like squint your eyes. Yeah. You're mad, but then it goes. Now, let's say you have a little bit less self-control, and this time you raise your fist, you yell at the person, uh -huh. right? And then what happens? You keep going down that spectrum of self-control to the point where you pull out you pull out a gun and shoot the shoot the guy, right? That's like low, literally no self-control at all. Do you think that there that is low self-control and impulsiveness, but do you think also that that works in conjunction with your lack of empathy or your, your le level on the empathy spectrum? And I, your think level? I, I think absolutely, right? Yeah. Obviously, that's the more evil you are, right? Uh, yeah, but you can define evil, too, because uh, some people yeah. don't even believe it exists. Yeah, I guess you could say, like, the, the more... Prone you are the more, to that kind the of thing. The more lack of empathy, mm -hmm. you can say. Al altruistic tendencies. But, um, it just works in conjunction. What I mean is, if someone... You lie on that spectrum, right? So, yeah. like, let's say person that otherwise would have been at that very edge of that spectrum yeah he wouldn't have killed the guy but he's really pretty close to doing that let's say now with television putting everyone down a notch mm -hmm. so now whether that person that would have had complete self self-control now yeah. now he's the person clenching his fist now you have the person that otherwise wouldn't have killed him he was but he was at the very edge yeah now he's pushed over that edge okay uh, and he shoot, you know pulls out a gun and kills the guy hmm. that's the argument these things that they damage your frontal lobe they make you more impulsive Yes, it's not going to make everyone a killer, but it's going to make more killers than there otherwise would have been. And that's literally what has shown that it's done. That's it's made more killers. And you know, it's crazy too because, like, you know, Netflix has become such a, you know, a part of our lives, um, mm -hmm. a ubiquitous part of our lives. It's like something that yeah. most households, you know, every every household, you know, you have a kids, uh, you know, each kid has their own profile. Yep. The yep. Parents have their own profile. So when it comes to these things, it's like it's propagating so so far into our society. So I don't know, you know, I haven't read your show notes over here, uh, Captain Organized, but. I'd assume that at some point we're gonna have to have the, okay, so we have to have these discussions about where the country's heading, and this is fat. This is why I want to have a podcast because what you're talking about right now isn't talked about, yeah. you know, in, in streams where I listen to that, you know, and I think most people don't. So our country has to have a conversation about the future economy, and the more I listen, I, I'm a I'm a drum beating capitalist, right? I mean, yeah. um, patriot, you know, to some extent, you know, I believe too much is evil, you know, to be a fascist or whatever, but or uh, xenophobic or nationalistic, but. We need to have a conversation because, and I'm gonna put out my own separate solo podcast about this. But basically, automation and outsourcing, we're not, and we're just not gonna have the jobs here. Talking about your machine learning, your AI, your yeah. manufacturing. So, we have to have a conversation that says, okay, well, if we're gonna be a, this rich superpower, but yet we're gonna have so many layoffs. So even if we are able to create artificially create jobs, just for the purpose of having them, they'll still be subsidized by the government. It's gonna be all crappy. So, uh, a lot of the, the the great thinkers I've been listening to sort of advocate moving away from our puritan values and turn and you know the whole uh atlas shrugged you know sort of mentality 
more towards like a universal income side and altering our society to where you still work hard, but you don't necessarily work hard for survival and sustenance. You're not bootstrapping so much because there, there's really not going to be the opportunity to do so. You know, say in the future, you have 400 million Americans. So you have 400 million people, but you also so you have more people and fewer jobs. And that's just it's always going to be that case now that, that technology is ramping up so fast. You know, especially with machine learning, you might not even have to do programming in the future. You might just put in a set of, of, of things, you know, hey, I need you to make widget X in the factory. And a machine assembles another machine to do that and programs it to do so. And that's, you know, not out of the realm of feasibility in the next couple of decades. My point is, we don't have this conversation in this country about the real future, the real problems that we're facing. So this is a conversation that isn't being had right now. So as we make TV more ubiquitous and this amusement in general, these say hijacks our prefrontal cortex and our limbic system yep. in such a way that, you know, shuts one down and activates the other. We need to have that conversation. And, and so if you were to go to the Netflix CEO, if you were to listen to this podcast right now, and you're able to prove all the science behind what you're saying, or at least make a compelling argument. They, they, know, they know all this. You I don't know. think they know this? But I don't think it, it permeates their thought, though. Like The a, Netflix CEO is not worried about the brain development of, of its watchers. But he has kids, and he has grandkids, and I bet you he has yeah. no problem letting them watch as much as they want either. Uh, I'd, you'd be surprised, actually. A lot of a lot of wealthy people, yeah. actually a lot of wealth, wealthy people that are in the entertainment, especially actors, they don't allow their kids to watch television. That's because, interesting. Because they know the effects that it has on them. Right. Because they're, they're, they're part of they're all the creators okay right well I, like I said I haven't seen your show notes and your outline but yeah. you, you happen to say something like there might be a uh, a nefarious plot and I just want to do a quick sidebar on the nefarious plots yeah actually if you Every- wanted to talk about it yeah let's um, do that now, now everyone assumes that when you say that there's a conspiracy or a plan or some you know malicious intent that there's this okay what I picture is a boardroom of white guys in this oak paneled room books lying in the shelves they're drinking scotch whiskey like single malt no less than 12 years old they're smoking cigars with monocles and they're going yeah see we're gonna F the people over and take all their money in life see yeah like everyone thinks there's just these fat old white guys that are running the shit so I guess what I'm trying to get into is, is to say that you have to define if not a conspiracy or a movement that is plausible in its execution. You can so say, you, I want to say not only plausible, but this is what they themselves have said. Now, when you're saying they, you mean like globalists or loose, you have a bit of an Alex Jones kind of, I really want yeah. you to break that out, by the way. You're yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything without actual. Well, you, you, you can preface it by, you can couch it yeah. by saying I'm postulating here. But, um, or theorizing. But more, but more, let's, let's talk about this guy named, his name is Bertrand, Bertrand Russell. Mm. Right. So Bertrand Russell, he was, a famous British philosopher, right, uh, mathematician, and he was born into one of the most prominent of the aristocratic families in the UK. Mm-hmm. Bertrand Russell, yeah, people have heard of him. He's oh, yeah. pretty pretty famous. Uh, well, he had this vision for what we call the scientific dictatorships, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a quote directly from him. He said, we can manage and control society, and there will be a day coming where the elites will have so much control over society more than the communists ever dreamed of. But we will use tactics that are different than the communists. We will use the education system, for example. So when he says education system, this is what he says in, in relation to it. He said that we should aim at destroying the free will, that by the time that the child leaves school, he will be incapable of thinking other than what their schoolmasters would have taught. Just think of kids today, right? This is back in the 20s when he said this. He was think, very much against World War I. Think of kids today. A lot of them, they had the same ideas that their teachers or their professors were telling them. Right. right? Think of all these liberal colleges. You think of the Berkeley riots, right? Mm-hmm. These are like college-age kids that have been 
and you can, you can say indoctrinated by these professors. Yeah. These professors too, like they're, they're really, very Marxist. Yeah, exactly. They're Marxist. They give them all these ideas, and this is what the kids believe in. Yeah. And they're willing to be violent over these ideas. So much so that what what they're what they believe in is a contradiction in itself. Oh, absolutely. They want freedom for everybody, and, and they want freedom for everyone by by yeah by constricting other people. Like that's like a total yeah. contradiction. So they say they're weaponizing compassion. So you want to be compassionate towards everybody. Like, oh, you know what? You have a fluid gender? Oh, that's cool. And you want to love people. So they're weaponizing love by saying that we accept whatever you are as long as it's not counter to the narrative. And then you're... Yeah. That's the reason why they, they're very Marxist because they want to create... That's a, the same tactics that the Marxists Absolutely. Use. They're like, hey, we're all inclusive, but yet we're going to dictate every other aspect of your life. And we're going to, we're, we're going to dictate that inclusiveness. And that yeah. always ends in failure because of human nature. Human nature always uh, rises to the top. It always yeah. infects every there system. Is, there is such thing as a reality, and if you try to legislate outside of that reality... Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I have a pet theory that what people feel that they're oppressed by is not their oppressor. Their oppressor is reality. Take your, your college student who dresses like My Little Pony, God bless them, you know, they've been probably abused or beat up or whatever in high school, or they're just, you know, sissies. They, they need their safe space and their, their safety pins and their, um, you know, attending women's marches as, as men going like, hey, you know, we're all oppressed and, and dressing like communists or they're in a jihad. And I think what they could count as oppression is the patriarchy, male-dominated, white male-dominated view of the world. And what they're really oppressed by is not the white male. They're oppressed by reality. The reality that the white males are... No, just reality in general. The, the fact that it, that life sucks and it's hard. And, yeah. and, and there's, there's many downfalls. You know, I've been through a lot in my life and I haven't been through nearly as much as, most, as, as many other people. I think they're just oppressed by the fact that living this life autonomously as we do is just a very difficult trait. And so they're projecting that onto... Ann Coulter, or you know, like uh, there are there are hardcore radical feminists who are so anti-male that you know they think that they ought to all be wiped out or euthanized, yeah. and we ought to just clone everybody. And they're actually banned from speaking on college campuses because they don't accept that gender is fluid. As that they don't accept that gender is a fluid construct. So they're banning feminists, because these hardcore feminazis, because they the feminazis aren't buying into the whole scheme of, of gender neutrality. And it's like what they're fighting each other. Yeah. But yet somehow they're still managed to be this amorphous blob like, that's still rolling over the country. If you think of um, if you think of what happened with 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 gays, right? At first that was like a protective class. Mm -hmm. Now they're not any, pretty much anymore. They're mm -hmm. now they're attacking gays. Mm -hmm. Because even gay folks, you know, like uh, even transgender people, like they want to be a female. They they're not they're not cutting off their sex you know, sex organ or adding one on for the purpose of being a Z or whatever general neutral term you want to use. They're, uh, they're specifically wanting to target another gender, which doesn't fit into the gender neutral. I identify as a pineal gland. I was talking about Edward Bernays. Yeah, man, we got off. No, no, no. Bad. Actually, uh, what's his name? It was Bertrand Russell. Yeah. But anyway, this is, it's interesting, right? So he, he talks about basically his vision for a scientific dictatorship in a way. Mm. Using science to control people instead of using. Do you think that's an effective tactic? Force. An effective tactic? No, I, I don't mean that it's not effective because, as as you described, with let's say the way that television manipulates your brain, yeah. it's engineered to do so. That's very obviously very effective. But what I mean by effective is the fact that there are always going to be fundamentalists. So I predicted that there's going to be something called a human fundamentalist. It's going to be a person who, or a group of people who rebel against, kind of like the Amish. But I, I feel that human nature will always break through in some way. That you really can't zombify a population. Now, granted, we've never had a precedent for TV. If you wanted to control a population in the 1890s, you can't do it by the telegraph. You know, you can't beep, 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 you know, through Morse code. If you can control a population television, I admit that it's unprecedented. But I do believe that humanity will always will always break out of whatever mold that they're put into. So if, if science wants to constrain, you know, uh, like the Colosseum was built in Rome as a means to distract the people from, you know, all the problems going on in Rome. You give them the games. 
and people live for that. But obviously, television is more effective because it's in your house. And so the hope, constant. the hope is that, the hope is that people will break out, right? The hope is that truth will will be the one. Yeah, will, and, and the, hope, it, the hope, the hope is that truth will actually reach people, right? And some people will actually wake up from their trance, whatever you call it. Yeah, but, that's but the hope. we're gonna have to Who fall knows? as a civilization before that happens, and that's what worries me, is because. America has a time limit for sure, and not just America, but Western civilizations. I mean, you you look at what's taking place in the EU, and the really worst case scenario is is outer fragmentation of the of, of the United, or I'm sorry, European Union. And if that fragmentation continues to take place, you might have a rise of well, nationalism for one. Well, yes, nationalism. Yes, that's. I mean, that that's definitely an issue over there. The xenophobia, there's and the racism. A, there's actually going to be a big revolt for the immigrants as well. Oh yeah, exactly. That's going to happen. But but what I'm saying is like like NATO and the EU. Those are large blocks of power that that uh, basically magnify the power of those countries because they're all working together. They all have common bargaining power. Yeah. Say for gas reserves or for the military. So now that they have lost that, there might be uh, other blocks that take over, like, say, the rise of, of China as a superpower or even Russia mili- militarily. So they're now weakened. So what we consider as Western fr- liberal freedoms are going to be under a threat that America is going to be kind of a lone light. Yeah, I, I actually, that's something that I would love to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I apologize. Yeah, more, yeah. After, some, after more beers. Not even beers, but more, uh, more research, more reading, because mm-hmm. that's something that I agree with you, man. Th- I definitely agree with you with. We, yeah, we can go down um, the rabbit hole because I've been yeah. studying it closely. That's that's a thing. I would like to talk more about this specifically. Yeah, please. Yeah, because this this to me at least ties in a little bit with that. Um, well, this is fascinating. This is good stuff. So we talked about this guy named Bertrand Russell, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually this guy named Edward Bernays. Mm-hmm. Now, Edward Bernays, he was actually the ne- he was the, nep- the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Yeah. So whereas Sigmund, Sigmund Freud, he was more interested in the in, the individual psyche. Right. Bernays was more interested in the mass mind, so the psychology of the masses. Okay. He was so effective, right? He worked as a propaganda artist for the U.S. government in World War One. Wow. He was a genius when it came to this. Right. And he was he actually wrote what became the textbook for propaganda used by the Nazis. That's cr- that's bonkers. Yeah. So this guy was he was the real deal when it came to propaganda. Just because he had deep insight into to groupthink. In yeah, way. I guess so, man. Uh, but he's actually well. He's famous for getting women to smoke in America. So before. Oh, I've heard of this gentleman. Yes, yes, so yes. I heard of the story. So like basically, the cigarette companies, right? They're like, man, we can't get women to smoke. Yeah. So they came to this guy and asked, like, hey, can you get women to buy our product? Mm-hmm. And he basically said, yeah, I got you. So what he did was he hired. They call it a uh, suffragettes, or like the women that were, you know, marching the vote, uh, marching to trying to get women the the right to vote, right? Sure. Um, well, he hired some of these women, some of the leaders of this movement, mm. and he told them, at the end of your march, I want you to take out a cigarette, light it, smoke it, lift up your hand, kind of like the Statue of Liberty, right. and yell, torches for freedom. Oh, jeez, so he tied it into that whole He's, movement. So basically, it. yeah, he associated uh, smoking yeah. with the, woman, the woman's right to vote and even freedom, liberty. That's phenomenal. Statue of Liberty. Right. Because um, it appeals to you on so many levels if you're exactly. a female, yeah. Think of the cigarette, torches of freedom. What, a, what an asshole. Right, so he actually... That was his method for bringing her, and then women just started smoking after that. Mm. Oh, and it became fashionable, and you, you know. You know, it's even more interesting, not, I would say more interesting, but what's interesting too is, you know, bacon and eggs? Mm. He's the author behind bacon and eggs. He was the one that introduced it in advertising. Now, that, was that a lobby? That was a, the pork lobby, right? Saying that the, we, because bacon wasn't being uh, eaten that much, and so. I, got, I can't tell you, I, wanna, I think the pork lobby had hired him as, as a means, as a way to uh, popularize bacon and, yeah. and pork in general, and that was the way they did it. I think of something that's so American as bacon and eggs. Now, was he behind the sugar? There's a sugar conspiracy. Uh, there's the, the podcast stuff you should know. 
I'm sorry, uh, stuff they don't want you to know uh, from how soft works. And uh, they went over that. And so they mentioned that uh, the sugar lobby hired many, many, many science ghost wrote scientific peer reviewed uh, papers to uh, cast the light off of sugar as the culprit behind a lot of our diseases yep and and put it on say saturated fats so it works so well that you know you have margarine which is terrible for you have this whole movement where sugar was just completely forgotten in terms of its negative effects you might yeah. be like oh well, i don't want you to get diabetes or have your teeth rot out but no in fact it's actually you know the cause of so many modern diseases processed sugar so, so some some basically some reminds kind me of, of something bernays would do some, some kind of manipulation but this guy was yeah. more involved with advertising he's okay. actually known as like the father of madison avenue you know Madison Avenue? Yeah. They, they have a show called Mad Men. It's about, mm -hmm. it's about that. This is actually what he has to say, right? Which is interesting. This guy, you know how powerful his methods were. Yeah. He says, if we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without, no, without their knowing about it? So basically, doing something to someone's mind without them knowing about it, the masses. You know, subliminally changing their, their mind. Like, sure. you're getting people to want to smoke cigarettes. And it's not like they know why they want to smoke cigarettes. Right. Subconsciously, right? They just got that idea, like, you know. Jeez Louise, so, yeah. So, said, Through the, suggestion. The conscious and, and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Whoa. Hmm. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. That's so this is what Edda Bernays is. This is this guy was, again, this is in the early early 20th century right. as he's saying these things. Think of the technology that they had back then with the cinema, maybe like some crappy radio. Yeah. Think of the 21st century. Literally everybody has a television in their hands. Oh, yeah. And not only a television, but it's such a such a captivating. Oh, like yeah. Everyone is on the, just tell me. Everyone is always on their phone. Of course. Of course. That's and it's an obvious, yeah. an obvious. Everyone witnesses that. So, well, my question is: we have access to all the information that the world's ever known. Yeah. So obviously, it's a and wonderful tool to use the right way. Yeah, absolutely. But yet, we're becoming dumber in terms of society, and it's really based on what you're talking about, man. And so I'm glad you're bringing yeah. this up. So if I'm you have, if you had, crazy. I guess you could say, if you, if you had the self-control and the discipline, mm -hmm. you could use your cell phone right as a universal library. You can learn just about anything you want. Yeah. They have, like, courses from MIT, from Harvard, from all these Ivy League schools. You can learn all this cool stuff on your phone. What do you think people use their phone for, though? Oh, to YouTube cat videos? Yes. To organize protests at Berkeley against the evil... Uh, yeah, who knows? Ann Coulter. Well, Twitter and Facebook. And hey, Twitter's cool, man. You do Twitter. Yeah, I, I, look at, I look at Twitter. You don't have a Facebook, but you look at Twitter? I don't have a Twitter. I just look at it sometimes because uh, the power of words, man. If you look at Trump's tweets, for example. Oh, my Lord, yeah. How, well, that's half the reason I have Twitter. They, His tweets, have they change a lot of things in a way. People are affected by his words. Oh, yeah. Just, um, yeah, 140 characters, and you have every news outlet in the country is yes. just banging it out. But anyway, I don't want to go yeah. too much into that. Um, okay, well, I'm sorry. Real quick, let me ask you this. I, I've, I've actually heard this said because... President Trump has said so many retarded things that have nothing to do with reality, and then he's called on it, like, say, how many people showed up to his inauguration. He said that, I won the country by the largest margin of the Electoral College in history. And somebody said, uh, no, you didn't. He goes, well, I mean, of any Republican. No, you didn't. Uh, in fact, every conservative president before you has won it by a higher margin. And he goes, well, you can agree that I won by a large margin. Yes. But you said, I won by the highest margin in history. 
And so that's the whole point behind what he says is it's all just, it's either lies or it's just him saying shit that has nothing to do with reality. I think I think having that view is a little bit of a closed mind. No, no, well, I'm getting um, to something. And, and so somebody had pointed out that it's actually like an, a war on the ability to obtain truth. So like Putin as well. He has the, uh, I'm say Putin, I'm going to say like old W. Um, and, and, you know, I'm a conservative to some extent, you know what I mean? Like I'm not by any means like a liberal, but... I just want to ask you before, yeah. how about his tweets that he's he's claimed some things that people have called him out on? Like, oh man, this guy is crazy, he claimed this. That it happened to become actually true. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying that there isn't a lot of validity in what he says. And, yeah. and, and as a counterculture like, narrative. But it's, but it, character. It, 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 gets, it gets on the psyche of, like, people are viewing the media, right? And yeah. they, they hear, oh, Trump is a liar, Trump is a liar. Look, look at what he just said on his tweet, he's a liar. But they don't realize, they don't actually say when those are actually end up being truth in the end. Like, for example, when he tweeted that he was being spied on by, by the British, right? Or, um, Like Obama that, had wiretapped the Trump Tower. Yes, that the, that the British intelligence was hired, or uh, a British spy was hired to perform intelligence on him. Mm-hmm. That's true. That yeah. stuff actually came out as truth. Eventually. Eventually it did. Yes. This is, this is no, the truth. No, it didn't actually, in a yes, way. Yes, this is the truth. Oh, it was wow, last week. Hey, Calm down, it was last week. I'm just, I just, I'm just, I'm just I, if any, if you say that this is false, yeah, then I have to call you out on it. This no, no, is no. true. I, well, all I'm going to say is it wasn't necessarily false. There was a con- an intelligence contractor who used to work for MI6 who created a dossier on Trump, and the dossier included the whole peeing on, yes, on, had Stuart Hooker's peeing on the bed mattress. So, in so Russia. you're saying, well, it's true, but it's not true. Well, it's no. truth. Hang on, no, no. Well, you know, everything's a layer of subtlety. You're, you're intelligent enough to know, remember, binary narratives. This isn't true or untrue. It's it's there is such thing as a truth. Area. I agree with that. There is universal truth. Relax, man. We're having a discussion. But I mean, it's not that he was—he wasn't though. hired by the British intelligence uh, organizations to go over there and, and actually to discredit Trump. Um, I don't know what his motivation was, but he came up with the dossier. So he is a former MI6 agent. He's an intelligence contractor from Britain, and he came up with this dossier um, with a lot of and, and things. And the evidence that he had was a 4chan post. Mm-hmm. So that that even that's, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so we're in that's agreement. That's even more. That's even more yeah. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, but what I was trying to say is that the the reasons why he came out with that dossier aren't necessarily known. It it was never shown that he was hired by, like, say, the British government or the Democrats or the Russians or anybody else to write that. No one knows why he he came out with that dossier, why it was commissioned. That's what uh, I'm saying is. I'll have, I'll have to look up more on that. That's all I'm I was pretty, saying I'm pretty, is. Pretty yeah, sure. the reasoning behind the dossier wasn't known, and so when I say that it came out as truth. It was true that an ex-British spy came up with a dossier, but but anything else beyond that speculation, because there hasn't been any, you know, links or ties that, that are that are substantive. But back to what I was saying is like uh, that godless heathen Sam Harris. Uh, I do listen to his podcast only because he has interesting things, and they said that, that there is this this bellicose nature of because the media is garbage. We all know this. The media is a dog chasing its tail at this point. It's so horribly biased. You never can tell what the truth is. But on the the, the side of the politicians, especially these guys. The idea is that they obfuscate the truth to such an extent, they make it so hard to even understand what is true and what is not, and then eventually you throw your hands up. So it, it's it's almost a campaign of not even manipulating the truth, but discrediting truth in general, so that you never know, you know, you're not able to parse out what is true and what is not. So when it comes to Trump, you know, a lot of the crap he says, you know, there's just reams and volumes of things that he said that are just absolute garbage, and they're, they're substantively garbage. and. All I'm saying about Trump is that that somebody pointed out on that particular podcast. Now I would actually say, let's 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 talk about something that's garbage. Can you can you just yeah just bring it up really quick? What's yeah, something that was garbage? Well, okay, so inauguration numbers. Uh, 
you you can also talk about um, all the times he talked about like walking back the uh, Trans Pacific. His, inaug- his, his inauguration numbers. Explain. All right. So his inauguration numbers. Um, he claimed many more. He claimed millions of people attended his inauguration. Many more, many by hundreds of thousands more than actually showed up. Also, his electoral college numbers, uh, the numbers he actually won the election by through the electoral college. Now, there's a great clip, and it's just him in an interview. Oh, you know what's interesting? Hmm. Um, this is actually. You, very, by the way, I want to let you know you're the smartest Trump supporter. Well, not, sort of not Trump necessarily supporter. a Trump supporter. Yeah, but but somebody who's I'm I'm a, someone a bit of an apologist. I'm I'm someone. You could say that. Yeah. But that's not even true. This is more. Don't <laughs> underestimate this guy. Trump? Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. People think that he's stupid. You understand? This guy is literally a genius. Oh, he yeah. is a genius. This guy has, like, a IQ of, like, 150. I never said he was stupid. I think he's just so, narcissistic People, shit. People think this guy's stupid when this guy is fucking smart. Very smart. He has a team of very, very smart people behind him. Yeah. He's a billionaire. He has access to very, very talented people. Yeah. These talented people help him. And then his tweets are... People think his tweets are stupid. Well, these people have a closed mind. They're not even looking... They're not reading behind the. They're not reading it's between only the his lines. His tweets aren't universal. All right, if he was look, that look, smart, look, look, his, his tweets, tweets would be more universally accepted. His tweets, no. He his would tweets tweet in don't such a have. Way. His tweets do not have to be universally accepted. But his tweets seem, have. His yeah. tweets have a desired, a desired goal, and every one of these tweets, they they literally are very very powerful mm-hmm. in what they do. For one, like, so let's let's say. Yeah. Whew, man. You catching this, Jesus over here? This is good. Um. These these guys these. Whew, Right. <laughs> you all right? They're just saying how people don't understand Trump's tweets. No, I get that. They and don't understand I'll it. appreciate that. They do not understand it okay, at all. Let me explain real quick where I'm coming from. The reason why I say that his tweets are stupid is not because he's a retard. I never will say that. He probably is a genius. He has a lot of... of they, think, they think that it's just Trump. It's just Trump himself yes. doing the tweet. He literally has but a team re- of psychologists. I'm sure he has a team of like people like Edward Bernays, for example. People yes. like Bertrand Russell. People that it. know the masses, they know the mind of the masses. But he's not appealing to the masses. That's the whole point. We have 320 million Americans. You can you can argue that. You no, can argue. But he's you have not, 160 his, million his, Americans. His goal is not to appeal to the masses. His goal has a desired effect. His goal is not to to please everyone. Yeah, his goal is to do as something specific. But like me, I'm a centrist. He, Trump, I, I could be convinced by something Trump says. He doesn't want to convince you. It doesn't matter. But he needs support. He needs the support. You know, if he says some truth, but he doesn't in a, in a way that a, it seems like an angry little four-year-old. More and more with people a cell are supporting phone. him every day. I get that. But my point is, like, if he tweets in such a way that he's a that he's a dumb four-year-old with a cell phone who's just throwing a little tantrum on something, then it's going to turn me off. Whereas I could be a very powerful voice for him. Maybe, no, I'm sorry, I don't mean to overemphasize my impact, but I, I would be a very vocal supporter of Trump if he would only tune it a little bit to where seems like it's more based in reality. So when he says something, it's often reactionary. And he calls out fake news, I get it. Um, a lot of that news is fake news. But my point is, man, that, that you, can't iso- you can't alienate 160 million Americans and then say, hey, this is accomplishing a goal that's going to be better for the end result of the country. So you bring up a very articulate, well, very eloquent statement, man, and it's very true about having the intended effect. But I think the intended effect is misguided, is my whole point, because he's well, alienating half, 160 million Americans. He might be gaining supporters, but not that many. You know what? I'd have to disagree with you. Okay. This is cool, yeah. I'd have to disagree with you. I think I think that the intended effect is happening, and I think that intended, the intended effect is they don't care what, what your intended effect is. Yeah. They don't care what your vision is. That's they, fine. They have, they have a vision, yeah. and what their vision is, they're accomplishing that vision. So you're only arguing for the effectiveness, not necessarily the goodness of the mission exactly. for the country. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't mind arguing it at all for the goodness of it. All right. Can we, can we, do you mind if we split off and, and, and have you talk a little bit about the, uh, 
how you feel the loose like you had a very good well-researched well I mean just it's just a neat theory about the Luciferian ideals that are rampant inside the Trump administration specifically brought through the corpus of one Steve Bannon um, but the idea that you know self is God and all this other stuff you you'd, you'd made this wonderful thing uh, um, that I wish we'd had had on tape a little bit and and I would have really, to I would have to in order for me to like to say what I think I should I should say about mm-hmm. it I should I would have to craft it better and oh, okay because th- you really had me on a ride there I was like yeah. you know this is cool well I guess I guess I'll say that um really like the core the core um the core of Luciferianism, right, is do what thou wilt, is the whole of the law. Mm-hmm. It's about doing what you want to do, right? To yeah. basically to say that I'm right, like no one else matters. What I want to do is is, is the only thing that matters in the it's world. It's like the highest principle that you can achieve. The highest principle is to do what you want to do. Right. That's Luciferianism. Okay. Um, and that's also, I mean, there's some merit to say... Um, being like a self, how you, how you call it? Um, the master of your own. De- uh, yeah, having very, universe. very strong self-control and oh, okay. things yeah. like that's not the same as Luciferianism. Luciferianism is the belief that what you want to do is sure. what matters. Yeah, not necessarily what's the best, you know, for society, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't care about anyone else; they care about themselves. That's yeah. it. And that's it's really like the. I guess I would say that's probably the religion, or that's like the the ideology or whatever of a lot of the elites um even some among some liberals actually probably probably more prominent among liberals than it is among right wing oh yeah they don't care about anyone they just even they they may say oh we care about everyone yeah that's ironic because it seems like they're the more empathetic party if you go to like somewhere like san francisco which Mm -hmm. is like it's known as a liberal like haven full of narcissists man oh sure yeah people are very very like narcissistic i guess you can argue that trump is a narcissist yeah he probably is I'm not, not going to argue against that. I'm just arguing against the fact that people think that he's stupid. Oh, see, yeah, you um, and I were actually having a debate on something that didn't. we were actually in agreement about. So you're like, only arguing about his effectiveness. I was thinking yeah, you were talking about his They think that, like, that he's... Great plan. Like, so this guy is very successful, and people may think that his methods are, like, childish or whatever, but this guy, he's successful. In what, in what metric, though? So that's my question, and I, I'm asking you because... Like, For so, one, so, he became president. That's That's good. pretty successful right. against all odds. The whole media was after him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and every you know, poll and statistic yeah. in the country showed he it's pretty, wouldn't win. It's pretty, I guess you could say it's pretty successful right yeah. there. But then right off the bat, he fails at health care with a terrible health care bill. Actually, people think people think that, right? Yeah. So who knows? Who knows what the what actually was behind that health care? Well, it so didn't really, pass, though. So listen, pretty... to, listen, listen to this. Mm-hmm. This is the idea, right? Like the whole time, his base, right? Yeah. Like if you look at Braybar News, Braybar News is pretty much Trump's base. That's like, yeah. that's like the ideology of Trump's base. And that's what Steve Bannon's there to do is to keep him yes. in touch with his base. So Braybar News speaks was speaking out against the health care plan, obviously. Very much against it. Right. Um, Are you talking about Obamacare or the new health care act? The new health care act that Trump supported. Mm-hmm. He, he supported the health, yeah. Whatever. There's a bunch of air quotes that he's putting yeah. out, by the way, he for you guys listening. Didn't really, you think he supported that. Really what it did is it exposed Paul Ryan. Um, pretty much brought Paul Ryan down. He's no longer, like, no no longer relevant. That's fascinating because, yeah, see, okay, so what I thought Trump was going to face is the fact that the media is completely against him, and then also Paul Ryan's going to be running in 2020. So what I, th- I thought was going to happen was you're going to have a Republican Party where you're going to have Paul Ryan treading trying to balance both this, yeah. both sides. He doesn't There's want so to much fracture right the party. Now. Yeah, but he they're, wants to run. They're, they're preparing. They're preparing. They're literally preparing for war in a way. 
I get it, but like, what do you think the end goal is? Because right now he's like same for a my total, own a total perception. The end goal is a total shift in government, in my opinion. The end goal Towards. is literally a total like flip of I'm not I don't know. I just know that the huh. goal is basically to change what we have right now. Well there's That's no just, way this is what yeah. Steve Bannon at least, this is what he said. Yeah. This is what um and at the same time Steve Bannon has left his podium, right? Yeah, like, he stepped down oh, from the he, National yeah, Security he's Council. No longer, yeah, yeah. You think that's truth? This guy wants to be behind the scenes. This is what he wants. That's funny because the Washington Post, and that's the reason why the media says bullshit because, like, the Washington Post wrote a hack job on him saying, oh, he's he's going out. We interviewed all these staffers who say, you know, he's, he's uh, you know, right now he's he's a pariah in the White House. You know, people, he's been sidelined and, and censured by the president. And then you have, you know, even, even uh, Trump himself in a New Yorker article. Think about it. He does not want to be in the public eye. Mm. His role does not need public, public awareness, whatever. Sure. His role is literally decision-making, the strategy. His role is not to tell what the public, and his role is not to tell the public anything. His role is literally to, to form plans. That is his job. So he, he doesn't want to be in the, in the public eye. Yeah. He well, has see, no reason to be in the public I'm afraid eye. that sometimes, like, like Hemingway said, sometimes a fish is just a fish, though. So the 10% that we are able to see above the surface of the water, that the, the narrative that we're fed, at, at some points that might be true so I, I'm, I'll, do you think it's worth keeping an open mind the fact that maybe he is kind of a, an asshole that just has uh, he's, he's so alienated himself away from the other staffers because they say that the narrative that the Post put out was the fact that like Ivanka Trump and her and, and her husband it just wouldn't make any sense are more honest. centrists it just doesn't make any sense well it's factionalized um, so like they're more centrists and they want him yeah. to tread a finer line and so that's that's <laughs> that's how they set it up is the fact that yeah you know that's what the news is probably gonna tell you well the post um, especially they're garbage but, um, post. they're owned by Jeff Bezos Jeff Bezos by the way I know and if you ever go um, on their website at the top it says every article has a tagline uh, democracy dies in darkness and I think they're the ones pulling the veil on it because you can't trust what they say it's there's no journalistic integrity but I'm sorry but I was gonna say Steve Bannon right yeah um it's interesting right that. He was, so a little bit of background, I'm sure people will probably know, is that he was a surface warfare officer for the Navy. Yeah, the Navy Reserves. Um, he ended up working for the, for the Pentagon. And then he, um, after that, he was an executive at Goldman Sachs. Right. After he was an executive at Goldman Sachs, he went into journalism. He actually started his own, to dabble into media. Like, he would make, he made movies. Yeah, documentaries. Documentaries. Like period, yeah. So he just has, like, a range of skills, I guess you say. He was he was in the military, government work with the Pentagon, media, private sector, um, biz, business business banking and all mm-hmm. that. This guy, you don't think he made a lot of connections during that time? Yeah, he's um, definitely a polymath. He, is what it sounds he, like. He uh, he compared working at Goldman Sachs to being in the, in the with the Jesuits. So there's a lot of conspiracies out there already already. Be, oh not, my lord! With yeah, the Jesuits we, talking right. about how like they basically have their role in basically just in the world itself, world's history. How they have been behind most revolutions. This is fact. That Jesuits have been behind a lot of revolutions. Right. If you think of um the Russian Revolution, right? Yeah. Hey, can we pause this just a second? Yeah. Hang on one second. All right. Well, uh, I wanted to go hug and kiss my little guy goodnight, and uh, you know, those are it's really sweet time. So, oh, I got texted. Oh, I had my phone on silent and missed the text. So, uh, yeah, we were talking about uh Steve Bannon and his uh. Oh, uh, yeah. the Jesuits and and, and yeah. The... I just don't. I don't want to make any conclusions when it comes to it. Like, remember, I was saying that. Yeah. I feel fine. like a lot of a lot of what's put out there, on the media, it's like trail of breadcrumbs in the wrong direction. Yeah, I just I think it's it's ridiculous to even. But if you look at some of his connections, though, let's say he was, you know, his history. Mm. You look at um, 
he's compared Goldman Sachs to working with the Jesuits. Basically, like, why he said that was because it was very, very demanding of excellence. He said it was the place that you had to work extremely hard, and these are very, very talented and hardworking individuals in this this company Mm -hmm. called Goldman Sachs. A lot of people associated with Goldman Sachs are in the Trump administration right now. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I'm not going to make any conclusions. I'm just going to say that's a fact. Well, am I wrong, but isn't Goldman Sachs a... um Aren't they an outlet for putting currency and in, injecting uh, physical currency into the into the marketplace? So, like, say when Obama signed the six hundred billion dollar bailout, yeah, they're they're part of the bailout. Well, not sure. not bailout for themselves. I'm sorry, or was it Bush? Whoever I think it was Obama though. He's like, hey, and Ben Bernanke uh, of the Federal Reserve. He said, uh, hey, we're gonna do you know six hundred billion dollars into the economy. We're just gonna have this currency free to free up the credit markets, and so we're gonna literally invent. You know, or print this money, so to speak, and so. But I think Goldman Sachs is is a, uh, an outlet for that. So, so they take currency and inject it into the market. Yeah, it's possible. I haven't I looked at the specifics. Functions. Besides that, he is he's a Catholic, right? Um, not, not anything about Catholic, right? But he's associated with the Vatican as well, right? Uh, Steve Bannon. He has he's actually he's gone to the Vatican itself and he's done speeches there. Really? Yeah. I really need to look into this cat a little bit deeper. So he's fascinating. So it sounds like a fascinating narrative. So this guy, of- like, he's a pretty powerful guy. Yeah. Right. The fact that he's not relevant anymore, right. I think is ridiculous. Of course he's relevant. It wouldn't make any sense if he wasn't relevant. It wouldn't go with like everything we know about him. It wouldn't go. Yeah, it wouldn't go with just logic itself. I think. Just look if you look at the big picture of things. Just no. Of course, of course he's still has his hand in things. So, but now he's he's self-described and described uh, from all quarters as a disruptor like his whole thing is to, like you said and i think it was a very yeah. insightful point you made where you said that you, you think that the entire administration's as goal is to alter the way that government functions yep. to create a large flip in that um and i think that goes along with with the narrative of bannon from himself and from commentators even antagonistic commentators where they say you know his whole narrative is disruption uh my my my, my problem with disruption is the fact that we need some there's no way one president can negotiate, you know, head up so many different things. You know, he's the commander-in-chief of way the hell too much. He's got 320 million people, and he's trying to steer a ship that's too big for one individual, no matter how well he's advised, you know, and 12 cabinet secretaries, I think, to uh, to steer that ship. I think Joe Rogan brought it up. I actually happen to agree with it. I think that we need to separate our powers. Like the Roman Empire, when it grows, grew so unwieldy, they were so large. They actually had three emperors, two main ones. And for a small period of time, that worked out really good. They just had... You know, and you had one emperor that was that was senior, but then you had uh, others, sub-emperors, and uh, that was actually a good system because they were able to focus on, you know, their regions a little bit better. Now, America's not quite split up that way. You know, it's not like we have Armenia and anything else, but we do have general pockets of, like, say, liberal and conservative and things like that. It's interesting that you talk about, this is something that just came, came to my mind. I'm not going to make any kind of conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, before, in those days, you know, the Roman Empire. Mm. You didn't have the same kind of people weren't connected connected the same way, right? right? So let's say you had a ruler, one region, they're literally physically connect physically disconnected to the other emperor by hundreds of miles. Sure, right? yeah. And um, correspondence was, has to go by horse. Yeah, yeah. So literally, you you needed people, you needed rulers in these areas, like physically. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, you have the in the age of internet. Well, even if not, you don't have yeah. Your ruler, your rule Trump could. <coughs> Trump could physically be in like in yeah, Jamaica or something. The you know idea I mean? is that the idea is the Dunbar number. So the idea is not that uh, the idea yeah. is not that he can't be everywhere at once. The idea is that he has too many. I'm balanced. not. I'm not arguing against anything. I'm. I'm just saying that 
if there was kind of split up like that, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be as obvious because you can have that kind of split up happen in the, yeah. literally right now. Oh, totally understand. And we wouldn't even probably. Even I know. guess the idea is that, that that there needs to be like we have cap. We have to say the Secretary of of uh, State. We have the, you know Secretary of Defense. We have different people like that, but they're not. They don't have autonomy. Like they don't have. They handle affairs, but it's still the president. Like say uh, Obamacare. How is how is Obama responsible for uh, international relations? You know, one of the biggest parts of the executive is uh, foreign foreign relations and foreign affairs. But yet. Not only that, but then think about Obamacare. Those are two completely different, we'll call them ideologies, but two completely different tasks that you have to accomplish. Yeah, there's functions of government. Exactly, and they're all encapsulated in this one person who's supposed to represent um, and supposed to have a vision for for way too much. So my, uh, I tried to write a book called The New American Colony, and it would be the idea that we have a tabula rosa, we have a blank slate. So what would it look like? What would our lessons learned be and how to have a more effective democracy based on our Constitution? And my main goal, man, listen, one of the biggest things I came up with was the fact that you separate morality, like, say, moral legislation, abortion, gay rights, all that other stuff. You know, I'm, I'm pro-gay marriage and all that stuff from a civil rights standpoint. You know, not moralistically being a Christian, but from a civil rights standpoint, I think that gay marriage and stuff like that should be enshrined as just a, a, a libertarian sort of, you know, ideal. But uh, you separate those things away from your legislative functions, so like tax reform. I don't want the same. I don't want to have to vote for a, or just a Republican because man, he's that anti-abortion. Or I don't want to have to vote for my Democrat because they're pro-abortion, but they might have the worst tax plan in the world. And so when they write a bill into Congress for and put it up for debate and vote, they might have. You can't encapsulate all these different things in, into these single people, even representatives. So I think you have to have separate houses of Congress and offices of the government. And I'm not saying increase the bureaucracy, but restructure it. So to me, the more efficient and eloquence the wrong term, but beautiful system would be one in which. You had people who were able to vote on a whole range of issues. Now, American voters are considered low-information voters. You can't rely on the wisdom of crowds if the crowd is not wise. If we're going to have a democracy, the democracy, or republic, I'm sorry, is predicated on the fact that no matter what, you still have to have faith in people and people's right to self-determination for their country. We don't have direct democracy because people are retarded. They would vote for no taxes and complain they don't have roads. But um, my point is um, we, we are encapsulating too much responsibility into one individual and that individual forms uh, an entire ideology and those ideologies form into tribes or tribes form around those ideologies and that's that's not a functional so way to go so forward. basically what you're calling for is reduction in power of that one person it's it's a separation of powers away from yeah. them so yeah you have you split that one person into two people so now that one person the one person is in charge of one thing one person is in charge of you know three other things so it's like but you just have, like is like the executive branch is way more powerful than than yeah continually getting more and more important absolutely and um, please let me bring up the point of uh, I want to ble- I say it was Alexander Hamilton so forgive me for being historically inaccurate here but this part is historically accurate there was a, an Indian tribe that negotiated a treaty with the federal government it was signed by both parties it stated that their land was um, sacrosanct that the federal government could not impinge upon their land or uh, you know use any resources in it or relocate the tribe this was their reservation forever and then so what did the federal government do I think it was under Hamilton but the president said hey kicking your ass out because there's some you know whatever we want there uh natural resource so the tribe took it to the supreme court and you know what uh so the supreme court ruled on the side of the tribe and ordered the federal government to stop what they're doing do you know what the president said verbatim he said uh the supreme court has made their ruling now let's see them enforce it and continued and relocated the tribe so that was in the 1820s there's precedent for the fact that the executive rolled over the supreme court so I think that's encouraging in a way to our modern times to say that these horrible things have precedent that we still manage to make it through. 
So like say Trump or Obama or the next president, whoever he or she is, or it, Zim, Z, Rainbow Unicorn, uh, whoever they are, um, they could commit some pretty treasonous acts in terms of our checks and balances system. Which have, you could argue that's already happened. Yeah. But, and yeah, so you take uh, Korea was a policing action, right? It wasn't actually a war. And so the, the, that's how the president can get around that. And that's been, it set a precedent for the presidents from hereafter. Yeah. But to your point. Um, now think of this too. Remember like yeah. what I was going on Man, as remember. far as like a scientific dictatorship. Yeah. It's so much easier for there to be a totalitarian government when people don't understand, they don't, they don't really understand that they already are under one. Right. Yeah. It's like people have the illusion of freedom. Is it easier to control someone that, that thinks that they're free or just someone that thinks that they're in prison? Like, if you have someone that's deceived, yeah, that they think that they're free, but they're really being controlled, right? That's like obviously you can you can keep them in that state, yeah. Versus someone that doesn't have freedom, mm-hmm. they know they don't have freedom, and they're gonna fight for it. Now, do you think some of the mechanism of that might be the Hegelian dialectics that you had me research? Because I I think there's a lot to that. The Hegelian dialectics is fascinating, guys. If you want to look that up, gentle podcast listener, my my friend over here, he brought that up. What were, what was your uh, code name again L what L logos L logos yeah so L logos brought that up but the re- the thing about hegelian dialectics is it's brought up, it's couched in a religious context so like you read about it and it says like it's it's from a christian's point of view but if you step back from that and not to say that there isn't validity to you know the christian point of view but uh, if you want to step back and make an, an agnostic point of view it, it's 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 thesis and synthesis equals antithesis it's the way that groups of of, of powerful individuals can control the world so uh, people who don't believe that the country's heading a certain direction based on a conspiracy. The Illuminati. It's the Illuminati controlling everything and y'all don't just understand. Well, the way that if there was a cabal of these you know, crazy-ass people who wanted to head the country, say, towards globalism or whatever, the way that that would be done is through Hegelian dialectics or a potential way, which can be aided by your scientific uh, dictatorship. But, but even if you had a scientific dictatorship, who steers that? How do you manipulate that? So Hegelian dialectics, do you want to kind of put a little preface well, on that? Basically, it's, let's say you have a goal, and to achieve that goal, you're not going to go in a straight path towards it. You're going to create two opposing factions, and because of, because of, their, of their opposition and because of their, of their battle, the result is your goal. So my, I can't, to be honest, I couldn't even give like an, an example from, like, from history, but there are there are plenty. Let's think of like a, what's like a modern. Well, can I give you one? I think. Yeah. All right. So tell me if this fits into the mold of that. So you have Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, that's so, obvious. Yeah. yeah, you've created tribes now. So your end goal is to control the people through a scientific dictatorship. So the way you can do that is you have people get into these tribes of liberal versus conservative, Republican, Democrat. You have them be so militantly ignorant, but no, you have them be so militant against each other that they're not able to. You lose the ability to compromise. Mm. Was that you? No, it's telling me to go to bed. Oh, yeah. So your end goal is your scientific dictatorship. So you create two tribes of people. You have the media take sides so that there's no more narrative in the, in the middle of logic. So you read the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, or you, you listen even, to Fox it's News. It's not even a middle, but something that's even, you could say, totally different. Or even it's true, like, yeah, or something that's logical. Because, so, like, like, I think it's a fallacy to think that if you have two opposing factions, that the right. truth lies in the middle. Oh, yeah, it that's could, true. Yeah, it yeah. could be somewhere point. in a totally other direction. Yeah, for sure. As soon as you, you have people uh, very efficiently separated off into these different camps, now all of a sudden they're herded like cattle. And, uh, oh, you know, abortion rights. So what I've said, man, and guys, I want you to get this at home, all right, or car, wherever you're listening, the shower, but that's a little weird, is the fact that I've said that social issues 
are the strings that control the marionettes. Remember, remember how you control like a puppet with those strings and you have the little thing? So anti-abortion, pro-abortion, gay marriage, uh, all these other things, they're simply the means that move you to vote in certain ways. So they're going to pull these strings every election. Uh, oh, no, they're, they're murdering babies. We've we got to stop murdering babies. Well, that's actually a legitimate thing. Or gay marriage. You know, you know a gay couple and they're super gay and they're super in love and you're like, well, it's only right that they marry. I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton, even though she's the most corrupt, you know, heifer in the world. Basically, what I'm saying is the means of control are those strings. But to, to, to say, okay, so now we're seg segmented into these, these camps. We've corralled efficiently. Hegelian dialectics would say that uh, the opposing views are liberal and conservative or Republican and Democrat. And so now that you're corralled, the end result might be what? Uh, your scientific dictatorship. So well, I actually, you, you've seen throughout history, the um, one, one thing that we have observed that has been increasing in the United States is the power of the central government has steadily gone up. Regardless of who's in office, the power yeah. of the, the, the size of the central government has been increasing. Yeah. That's something that's stable. It will be always increasing, pretty much. And it's self-perpetuating uh, as well. It, it desires to, to, to keep itself. Yeah, because if you power. think of power corrupts people, right? Mm -hmm. And once you have power, you want more of it. Yeah, oh, yeah. It requires a certain kind of, it requires a saint of a person, pretty much, to not, I guess, become corrupt by it. You get one in four yeah. based on Roman emperors. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. That's pretty that's cool. Yeah. With, like, Democrat or, or Republican, right? It's always an increase in power. So you, if you want to say that's a Hegelian dialectic where you have two opposing factions, obviously, the end result is an increase in government power. It's been happening. And this invention was, I mean, it's, it's been used for millennia. I mean, this tactic has been used for a long, long time. It's Catholic Church and Islam? Yeah. I mean, you, you could say that. Because um, Islam's a bastardization of Christianity and Judaism. It's seen through the lens of an Arab culture. It was actually hypothesized that um, it was sort of created to keep Byzantines so, at bay. It's interesting, right? Like, this is something that no one will probably agree with me with. Oh, I got like, you. Yeah, I got 10 um, of those views. Yeah, go ahead. So you have Christians, right? There was more and more Christians in the, in the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Actually, not even the Roman Empire, just in itself in Europe, and also spreading through uh, West Asia. Yeah. Like, where, you know, Turkey, Middle East type area. You know, Christians were spreading. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think of the Roman, um, the Roman Catholic Church was also a way of... So, Really, it was a way of keeping Christianity in check. This is what I what I personally believe. What? Yes. That's interesting. Yeah, please. Um, because for one, what do they do? They banned Bibles, pretty much. They stopped really the the worship of of Jesus. Yeah. Anyway. Like they they stopped like the more Puritan ish, more um, like the true Christianity. I would say. And made Bible, it more regimented. Bible based Christianity. Yeah. Was persecuted. Bible based Christianity was persecuted. Right. And I, I believe that Islam was really is, it was it was a way to keep Christianity in check in Asia, and it's pretty so much the counterbalance done a really good job of keeping Christianity in check in Asia, where they you know, basically will kill them, right? That's fascinating. And you know what, my my dad, um, and I don't mean to talk anything bad about him, but uh, you know he's passed away now. He rarely he was he's a pretty angry dude for a lot of my time growing up, and he didn't really sit me down to talk to me very much about you know things but one of the things he taught me he sat me down and talked to me he's a genius a true genius but he said that the Chinese have it right with yin and yang but it's weird how that balance is so pervasive and from from the micro scale of the individual uh, and their, their say personality traits all the way up to this to, to empire so you want to talk about yin and yangs I mean you always have it seems like you always have those opposing narratives you have the Romans and the Persians then you have Christianity and Islam, and, and you have these other things, Democrats and Republicans, like you always have this, 
if not evenly mashed, but you you you, you typically after a certain amount of chaos encounter order order yeah an order of balance. And they might be opposing balances. They might be warring, and it might seem like chaos. But it's always this beautifully op- uh, opposed group, and it's it's really weird yeah. how that works. Bismarck, you look at Bismarck. He balanced every single kingdom in Europe against each other. That one freaking person had controlled the marionette strings. And when he was fired by the the uh, Kaiser of Germany, that's when World War One was you know really able to kick off. I mean, yeah, it took place when the Archduke Franz Ferdinand was was shot. Was it 1914, 1913? And that, that supposedly kicked off World War I because of all these treaties. But the reason why those treaties were in effect and the reason why the, the powder keg never went off was because Bismarck was running the show. And the Kaiser, with his little shriveled arm, was like, you know, he's feeling, he's had short man syndrome and felt like everybody hated him and built up Germany militarily. You know, so they, Austria's aid, Russia came to, however that worked out. In terms of your Hegelian dialectics, I think that that's, I just wanted to talk about that and have you talk about it a little bit too, because I think that that's something important for people to think about. But in terms of uh, what we're talking about, even back to the way that television manipulates your mind, I'm always functional. My intellectual big brother, he hates me because he thinks I'm always trying to, quote, save the empire. I'm always trying to correct the state of affairs in our country. And the reason why I'd want to do that is because, and I think it's impossible, and it's an impossible task. Say you had a Julius Caesar or somebody like that who came up, who rose up in a post-apocalyptic time. You can't have that in our country today. There's just too much distraction. There's too much screen time. There's too many opposing viewpoints. There's too much, there's too many interests that are counter to each other. You know, one of the interesting things about um, of damaged frontal lobe is impulsiveness, Yeah. right? And basically that you're also able to be carried upon a whim mm-hmm. a lot easier. You're not, a, you're not as grounded upon principles. Your mind is easily changed. So you can have one view one day mm-hmm. and be, then be changed the next day. Right. Point. Being hypnotized in general, which is pretty much what's happening while you're being entranced by television. Right. You can have thoughts thrown into you. It actually happens quite, quite a lot with advertising. They literally sub- subliminally will put, will make you want to buy things. Right. Right. You know, just think about it. Like, they, why do they have, like, Taco Bell commercials at, like, 2 a.m.? Yeah. Like, um, makes you, like, hungry, right? Yeah, with carefully tuned jingles and, yeah. and other crap. You think yeah. these people put millions and millions and millions of dollars behind these commercials. And there's a lot more that goes into it than what anyone will know. They oh, literally yeah. will admit. They admit to this. They do put subliminal messages in there. The goal is to make you want to buy it. When it comes to making people buy things, there's a lot of money behind it. When there's a lot of money behind it, they're going to hire you know professionals to do the right job. As far as they're not being able, capable of having someone like Julius Caesar, I think that's wrong. People can be changed as a, at a whim. They're very they they're, they can be controlled. I would say. Yep. You can have let's let's think of for example all this this PC culture. Where did this idea of PC originate? And just just I'm just thinking like, did people just all of a sudden become PC? Or was that something that was pushed onto people? I have to say it was pushed, and, and I actually listened to a very interesting point about that. Um, there was a gentleman who participated in a lot of protests in England in uh, the college, and there was a massive revolution that took place in English culture around that time in the 60s. But I feel like you have something in mind, so I won't just keep on blabbering on. You can have someone, I actually would say someone even like Trump, mm-hmm. that has has got so much crazy. Like, yeah, you it's pushed back of, against that being shoved down your throat. In a way, but I think um, this is almost like you said people fighting against it, right? Yeah. I think people literally, obviously, I think this PC type thing was being pushed down people's throats so much. And it was obvious that this is being pushed. All the celebrities, all the musicians, all the popular entertainment was telling you to be PC. Whether, like, it's just the way it was. This is what it was. Our culture was now PC. A lot of people were tired of it because a lot of it's nonsense. Like the whole like twenty something genders. Yeah, that. yeah. Like a lot of it's like it just fl- flies in the face of reason, and I think some people are getting tired of it, right? Someone like Trump comes along, mm-hmm. 
that basically is like immune to these PC attacks. Yeah. They like, oh, he says something sexist. He's like, yeah. So what? I said something sexist. Yeah, yeah. He's it's a like gangster. In people that way. are like, yeah, like you know, <laughs> rallying behind him because yeah, it was almost I, I, like I grab pussies too. It was almost like their release. Like, yeah. They're like their fight back right. against this PC culture. Yeah, it was a pushback. And back. I think, um, I think that a dichotomy was pretty much, in my opinion, of course, the thing was been it was being created in a way. I think so. I think that's actually like the goal, because like if you look at, I have some some other views about this, because if you look at what are the most dangerous people in the United States, what are the most capable people in the United States, what are the people that you, if you're a government financiers, I think. Well, let's say like if let's say you're a government, and you want. Oh, like so the subversives, the most dangerous subversives that the government would want to stamp out. You know, let's say let not not really subversive. Let's say you want a group of people behind your cause. And you want to accomplish something. I think undoubtedly the conservatives of this country are mm-hmm. the most capable people in this country. Um, as far as they're the most hardworking. They're the ones that have all like the the heart, like the work ethic. Yeah. Right? They're the ones that really are like the, the engine. I'll say the engine behind this country mm. are more conservative. In a way. Like, okay, so if I may, like a functional engine in terms of you need a roof Military. Look at the military. Yeah. Hugely conservative. Well, the officer corps is actually hugely liberal but yeah i know if you look at like the maybe the top one percent yeah that got up to that top one percent because they were liberal right no i would say a lot of retired are definitely conservatives so let me ask you about that because i've been thinking about that dude listen i mean literally i've been thinking about this a lot recently i think a conservative is able to accomplish tasks by pushing just fucking just pushing through hard with uh determination like you said and grit hard work they're able to run small businesses because that's what it takes to run a small business it's just that yeah. masochistic devotion to wanting to do it because there's so much against you. I think that there are side effects of that, like taking a drug. I think the personality it takes to do something, to, to push that single-mindedly towards the goal of, say, having a successful small business comes with the side effects of the fact that you have to start taking stances that are not that enlightened. And what I mean by that, and I hate to say it like that, but I know a lot of hyper-conservative people who are very successful businessmen, and they are great in that area but they're not the kinds of folks that you would want crafting legislation and the reason for that is the fact that I think so much of your bandwidth is devoted towards just like you know when they say that when you're a hammer every problem looks like a nail the idea is that you're a hammer you smash your way through you know goals be it even even in intellectual goals like say you're a CPA or you have you know a business that like mine where we work with concrete yeah I mean I'm covering concrete dust and it's a very manual job but if I'm not smart I don't accomplish it but guess what at the end of the day I don't want to hear about your liberal fancy pantsy Dunbar number. It doesn't really affect me. Or even if I know about the Dunbar number and I apply it, you know, it, it, what I'm trying to say is that, that I think there are side effects of what you would call functionality, um, that the more highly capable people that engender them, especially in the South, but, you know, elsewhere, you know, towards that seeing every problem like it's a nail because you're a hammer. I'm Wall sorry, Street, for example. Oh, yeah. A lot of Wall Street is conservative. For sure. And, 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 I didn't mean that in a general. I mean, I know I'm way over generalizing. All I'm saying is like that there is this idea that that there are patterns of these behaviors that tradition. Like, okay, so he says to take a stockbroker up there. I mean, kind of proving the point. The stockbroker wants a conservative in office because it's going to have certain fiscal benefit. It'll have certain benefits towards, or it's it's even a life view that they've taken based on being a hammer and whatever it is. And not to say that, and that's overgeneralization because a lot of liberals are hyper successful people. I mean, you look at like George Soros. Jeff Bezos, who, run, who owns the Washington Post and Amazon and Blue Origin, the space company, he's a massive liberal. He's this, you know, he would absolutely remove 
all Christianity uh, or any any kind of overarching morality or anything like that. Well, Ted now, Turner. now now that they're in power as a billionaire, because liberals liberal liberal ideology favors the elite. They are in now in that elite position. Yeah. But so they would favor directly from a, from a liberal government versus but, versus let's say we'll say but, but what about Elon Musk your Wall Street stockbroker who's a billionaire or Peter Thiel because I would actually say those those people they turn to conservative they have I think and Peter Thiel's gay <laughs> that's funny I didn't know about that mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah he's the one that sued Gawker uh, and and got Gawker shut down because they outed him but but um Elon Musk I would actually say is I think he's a good guy man I think that he yeah. is not evil yet maybe I, I don't know I just don't think he's evil. I think he's actually a pretty good billionaire, pretty good guy. Yeah, he's sad. And I it. think that's the reason why he's conservative, is because he's a good, good guy. Because he knows that that's like the right thing. Let's let that sink in, folks. That's an interesting thing. I think, okay, so you don't like this. A lot of smarter people than me don't like this. That's why I hang out with you, so you make me a little bit smarter. It's like, you know, have you ever hung out with somebody who's like half an inch taller than you and it helps out your posture because you're always like, asshole I'm, no. I've got that half inch in me somewhere really I do people don't like this the way I put this but I think that everything's a pendulum so yeah you know the pendulum swings left pendulum swings right but unfortunately right now the the okay so it swung right but there's such a this is why I have this problem with the current administration not that it is not effective but these pushbacks are getting to be so hard I put it on Facebook the other day I said are we gonna have to have a civil war to determine what kind of monster we're gonna be and that's exactly what we're gonna have to have these pushbacks are getting so powerful Berkeley is just a micro example, yeah. but that's that's countrywide. People are now so entrenched in their points of view that they don't have the ability to empathize now, with somebody else. This is I kind of wanted to speak about it, right? Because this is actually kind of shown even with Berkeley. Right. Think of like the most capable, like I said, the most capable, the most effective people in America. It's the conservatives. In my opinion, it is the it is the conservatives. These are the people that they are more self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. They're people in the military, people in small businesses. People that just are more powerful in general. They're just more more useful people in general. These are if you're a government and you wanna you want these people on your side. Yeah. I would say. And I think this is basically the way of getting these people on the government side is by having someone like Trump. Trump has gotten these people on his side. But you say the government. So like but you have a lot traditionally, you know, black folks vote, you know, liberal because for a yeah, lot of reasons. Sure. But the idea is like, okay, so government government assistance. So you, you say, okay, well, I don't have a lot of economic, and I'm going to put this very gingerly, but you have, I don't have a lot of economic opportunity where I'm at. Say a liberal government, if, if an Obama's in office or Clinton, there's there's a lot of, of government assistance for you, right, to help you with your daily needs, food, you know, cell phone, whatever. The idea is that the liberals actually want to keep in power, want to keep, say, minorities poor and uneducated through these handouts. Yeah. So even though they're going to give you food, and there's grants and education and stuff like that, but but in reality, they don't want an an enlightened culture because if you were to enlighten a minority culture, if you were to enlighten those folks, then they wouldn't need it. You wouldn't have any need of. They wouldn't have any need for you. Yeah, that's why unions support Democrats as well. So don't think I'm picking on minorities or anything. And it's not anything inherently. You know, I'm not saying like black people are dumb or even their culture is is sub substandard to, to to white culture or anything like that or, or Mexican culture. That's not what I'm saying at all. But um, like say you know you have folks that trend liberal in that way and they want to keep you poor so that was to your point or that was my question about your point was you say okay so trump is is bringing all the support over him of all these you know capable people but then when a democrat gets in office it's actually absolutely the opposite i guess both attract power to the government but it's only power from half the population and that shifts every four you know every time you switch from a liberal to a conservative right now we have basically an administration that is pro-military 
and we have a populace that was that is willing for him to use that military in a way. But I know people who would be willing to support a war. Okay, so on my Facebook, I get an interesting thing. My brother would be willing to support uh, a war in North Korea, right? Because they have nuclear arms and they're crazy as shit. And at some point, they're gonna, they maybe can develop an ICBM to bring that to you know the nukes to your hometown. That's bad. So it makes sense, like, hey, you know, we need to cur- curtail this, even if we have to lose tens of thousands of lives doing it. Like, we're not, I'm not, I'm not arguing for or against war right now. I'm, no, I I'm get just that. Saying that. But what I'm saying is, his problem isn't that it's necessary. Even though he's a liberal, he's willing to, you know, support that. His problem is the fact that he sees Trump as a retard, even if he's not. He sees Trump as that four-year-old with his hand on a nuclear button. So it's not that Trump is that four-year-old, but it's his perception. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Is the problem is. He's not portraying himself in such a way that it's attractive to enough people to create a consensus. So if we went to war, um, we would have the support of the country behind us. You have 140 million Americans who would probably be against it, and that's an overgeneralization, but it's close. 48% of the country or whatever. But you have the people basically— Who would not have, have the faith military, in their leader, though. But you have the military on your side right now. Look at—literally, li- you have, like, Navy SEALs with the Trump flag, for example, like a flag saying Trump. Yeah, but the Venezuelan the Venezuelan government right now that's that's shitting on, on on all their people's liberties and freedoms and, you know, everyone's starving to death, they have yeah. the military on their side. So that's not saying that they've gained anything by having the military on their side. All that means is that, that they have the ability to stay in power. But the, we also have the most capable people. Let's say, like, if there was ever going to be a revolution, Yeah. right, and it literally was the, the outcome of the revolution depended upon whoever won out of the people. Mm-hmm. Of course, it would be the conservatives. They're the ones that own all the guns. They're the ones that have all the strategic knowledge. They're the ones that have all the grit. So what I'm saying is... In a generalized sense. Without, pretty much, yeah. yeah. Obviously, there's going to be exceptions. But in a generalized mm-hmm. fashion, the conservatives are probably, without a doubt, they're on top of this. I think there's, it's ridiculous to think otherwise. Look at infantry in general. You have some liberals. They're the exception. One out of 12, maybe, yeah. I would say probably even less than that. Literally, that is the exception. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Um, when you think of the most co- capable people, some of these special operations forums, for yeah. example, they run heavily conservative. They run so conservative that the liberals among them are ostracized. They're not accepted. Yeah, Liberal that makes sense. Liberals and special forces or whatever, they're looked at as, as weird. Yeah, or even subversive. Yeah. But that's the reason why you don't want the military running the country. That's the reason why you, you want the, the civilian in control of the military because any military you know, that, that instigates a coup or does anything in government, it's always the hammer and the nail scenario. So civil liberties are considered like a, a very inconvenient thing. Yeah. So like, like rednecks, man, I love the Second Amendment. How do you feel about the First Amendment? I love it. Okay, cool. Let's have, uh, how do you feel about, uh, what's, what's his or her name? Um, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner. You know, coming out, oh, I think he ought to be killed or thrown over the wall or ostracized, sent to Mars. So if you gave ultra-conservatives all the power, if you don't mind, let me let me say this. And, and this is I, I, this is not my own thought. Somebody brought this up to me. I love this, man. So the idea is that if you go right, fascist. If you go left, you wind up, you know, communist. And that's not, that's just an overarching statement. But the idea is, like, if you go too far nationalistic with it, you wind up, you know, yeah, but and it's weird because they're both kind of similar, but in a, in certain ways. Totalitarian. Exactly. So the Germans. Okay, most people see that. How did he put it? Because it's interesting. He said that. Uh, this is my friend that came up with this. He said that the Ger- We see the Germans' uh, sin as being German. The German sin was the fact that they allowed Nazism to take over. 
the Russian sin wasn't that they're Russian. It was the fact that they allowed communism to just creep in. And that's the reason why all these liberals are going nuts. And I think it's, it's good to have liberals and conservatives because you have to have that balance. Otherwise, we wind up too far on one side. and We don't want to wind up like a Nazi or a communist. So it's like, and that's what would happen in America if you allowed these ultra-conservatives or the ultra-liberals to take over, is you have these massive extremes, and you don't want to live there. I think we were going to head to one of the yes, extreme Yes, civil war. I'm telling you, it's coming. I think it's going to happen. Um, Get your guns, boys, and your canned food. This is what I'm saying. So right now we have, like, the most capable people beyond our president, I would say. I don't think there's anything going to happen because of this, like, right right now, but we have a lot of support for our president mm. from the most capable people. Um, so if, let's say if there was a war... We don't want a war with a liberal in office. We want a war with someone like Trump in office, right? right. Like, general I speak. I'm not saying, like, personally my views. But generally, right. like, we want someone, like, maybe the, the next election. I honestly think that Trump's, Trump's base is going to be going to grow. I think that there's going to be more supporters for Trump. I, the trend right now is he's gaining supporters. People, what is your basis of that metric? Like, what is your basis of, people, of that? So people are, quote, being red-pilled, they call it. They call it, you know. <laughs> the a good reference, yeah. You know the reference. Matrix, yeah. Um, well, you have to look on some of these online forums, online communities mm-hmm. for Trump supporters. They're, it's growing crazy. Really? Yes. It's growing like crazy. Look at there's this subreddit called the, the Donald, for example. You should yeah. take, take a look at there one day okay. on, on Reddit, right? It's called I need to get on there. the Donald. Okay. Um, you'll, you'll see that it's actually a pretty interesting subreddit. But, um, yeah, Trump's base is growing. I think that's it's not, it's gonna, not, not going to cease to grow. I think it's going to – if he's not elected – in 2020, I'd be super surprised. Can I ask you a question, though? So for him to be elected, like even a lot of the, my views of Trump are influenced by the media, even though I really hate that liberal bias, only because I hate the liberal bias because it's untruthful. I like truth in my narrative. That's that's I like I like two sugars in my coffee and three or three sugars and two creams, and I like some truth in my narrative. I don't know where to go to for good truth. So my, my fear is that you're going to have a fractured Republican Party attacking Trump. You know, Paul Ryan wants to run as the um yeah, part of the establish, establishment, they call it, right? Yes, but there's so many establishments against this guy. So the issue that I have, and, and the question I want to ask you is, I wanted to uh, come up with something called uh, the Justin Times, and uh, the idea behind that is it's just unvarnished news. It's, it's like, here's the shit that's going on. With Even if I have to interpret it, I'm not interpreting it with a bias that's based on, like, say, even morality. It's, it's, just, a, it's just interpreted in, to say, okay, this is bad, this might be good, if you have to interpret. But otherwise, it's just, here's what happened, and that's it. Here's, I'm just reporting the news to you because I'm, gonna, you know what I'm saying? I think we need outlets like that where, and they're, they're, everyone claims, oh, no, you just need to go to Reuters International or something like that. You really, there are no, there's no outlets that have any journal, journalistic credibility anymore because you're always on the, on the suspect for, for their bias because everyone's got one. You know, oh, the New York Times is pretty good. No, it's not, actually. And I can point to a lot of examples of why the New York Times is just, just even recently it was pretty stupid. Yeah, it's really bad. And so that's what's held up as journalistic integrity is the New York Times. And you're like, no, even they're pretty horrible. So now obviously Fox News is terrible. So in terms of that integrity, um, lack of bias, I want to just want to hear the shit that's going on. I don't want to have to hear. I like, the, I like YouTube. Um, Whoa. Some YouTube videos of independent journalists. Yeah. That, you know, maybe they'll get like 100,000 views or something like that. Right. Um, now, these people, obviously, everyone has a bias. Yeah, yeah, regardless sure. of who you are, you have maybe maybe your bias to you is the truth. Like to me, I, hmm. I think that my bias is. I hope that my bias is you know like truth. You know. Yeah. But everyone has obviously is gonna have, have a bias. So whatever you read is gonna have is gonna lean one way or the other in my opinion. Maybe maybe they think they're being without bias, but what they're putting out there, I think it's definitely gonna lean one one way or the other. But then but then you have 
that's independent individual bias but mm-hmm. then you have like establishment bias no oh, yeah or literally you have whole estab like cnn nbc right new york times all these conglomerates like they're they're pulling together and they literally have like one unified bias they have one agenda individual versus you, you see something you see you saw how the media was you could say with the whole media was attacking trump now that's interesting to me man how they are attacking trump attacking trump attacking trump and then somehow he still won yeah um oh yeah it says something don't it i don't know i what don't about know the groundswell of, of, of pushback against i the don't know really how like what happened but to marriage. me to me there's I, I, I wish there was like a scientific explanation for what happened well you're not going to get that one because cool. the, the scientific explanation is there's so many dumbass rednecks out there that's exactly what like, people from cnn the some of their that's what they will say absolutely that's what the cnn and all of them are saying right. oh so, the dumb rednecks that's how he, that's how trump won yeah and I always Which, say that's that not going to be the truth the truth say behind your conspiracies uh or whether or when not have, there's one when you everything's going to be buried 48 percent of so 48 percent no no mm-hmm. it was more than that 48 percent of white females voted for trump Versus like forty five white females voted percent voted for Hillary. Now, it was like fifty some. I think it was like fifty three percent white males voted for Trump. You're gonna say fifty three percent of white males are all dumb redneck right trash? Right. Come on now, let's be real. Of course not. Yeah, they're just tired of having a narrative shoved down their throat or whatever their case is. Now let me ask you. Can I ask you a, a question? I want your insight on, man. So whether or not this podcast ever becomes anything or not. Um, like let's say a couple hundred people listen. That's enough for me. No, I'm just kidding. I want the I want the advertising dollars. So tell your friends. You, listen, a lot of people I love listening to Dan Carlin. Boys and girls, go listen to some Dan Carlin. Common sense, do it. Mixed mental arts. A lot of these people talk about. They decry the fact that that the problem with America, and the reason why the left and the right are so entrenched is because we don't have a marketplace of ideas and also that everything is so stigmatized. In colleges, you have uh, actual biologists who are coming out with quote unquote science. It says that gender is a social construct, which it's clearly not. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely not because science has proven for, you know, genetic. I mean, we can just go through it why that's not true, but it supports the narrative. So, my, so now science is actually being hijacked to support a narrative. But even beyond that, my whole point about marketplace of ideas is the fact that what's wrong, that, that certain people like the Dan Carlins, mixed mental arts people, that, that um, they want a marketplace of ideas for expression. And the reason why is that's a release valve for... Trump versus Hillary. It's a release valve that allows us to come together and not ostracize people for their beliefs, but to allow them to express them, and then we debate them. So, and then if we're if we're talking about them, discussing them, and debating them in good faith, then we have the chance to actually come together and create compromise. So we're not living on the fascist or the uh, communist extremes, right? That's a pie in the sky look at it. But let me ask you: This is the question about my podcast and media in general. But like, should I? So as, an, as a metaphor for the larger media in general, should I take a chance and have a person on who's going to propagate their ideas through my podcast for me to debate them, necessarily, you know, or at least or me or maybe I'll have somebody else here you know, who's, who's logical to, to debate them on certain points. And the idea of that being the fact that in public they have a public forum to express their ideas and then maybe other people hear their ideas getting shot down. So they, the other other people listen to those ideas getting shot down, and it gives them a chance to change. You know what I mean? So so basically, it's it's like this weird danger that I kind of want to take. I want to have people I don't agree with on here so that I can, me or other people I can have on, can discuss and debate with them these things. Because if we don't have this, it's easy for me to sit here in my little, listen, guys, I live in the forest, right? This is not exactly the, well, I don't want to say it's not the intellectual capital of the world, but let's, you know, let's be fair. Oh, yeah, so it's easy for me to sit on my couch and say, okay, well, we should have, uh, you know, a, what, what I call the economy of ideas, the marketplace of ideas, without doing anything about it. 
But here we are recording a podcast. We have two laptops set up and a microphone. So should I let people on my microphone and put foot to ass to my belief that we should have a marketplace of ideas? So if, if you say, hey, CNN is wrong because they don't express a full spectrum of ideas, if that's fine, but I don't own CNN. I don't run their news every day. All I have is this little podcast that no one's even heard yet. So should I take the risk of having people on here to put foot to ass to my ideology that we have a marketplace of ideas, an atheist or a, a hyper-Christian or anything? Because I'll debate a Christian probably harder than I would debate an atheist. You know what I mean? I mean, or as hard. Because, you know, like, who cares if they are 6,000 years old? It just doesn't matter. But the, the church has set itself up as anti-science, and it's, it's causing all problems that are not even necessary. So we'd have a long debate about that. So what do you think? Do you think it's worthy to have a marketplace of ideas, or do you think it's more worthy to just plug along with your particular bias and try to affect the world through that means? So if I had a podcast, and I have people on here who mostly agree with my worldview... I think you know what I mean. I think what you should do is you can explore every avenue, but I think you should follow truth wherever you see truth, and go after that. Pound my fist, sir. That's a good yeah. answer. All right, so listen. All I've done for this entire I hijacked our entire podcast, but is that the end of your notes? Sort of. It's all right. All right. So in terms of music, uh, something. What, I heard uh, Pinker actually believes that music, uh, and I've heard this secondhand, but uh, somebody said that Pinker believes that music is a analogous to our development of language and that's the reason like you were asking why is music so powerful and it is it's a healing tool it's a it's powerful it, it goes along with our our development of language it's like a cousin to it so as we developed language as a means of expression music developed our beats developed well, as a way to influence is, our animal brain in that way music <laughs> is really like you talk think of it like the language of emotions wow why not it's, i like it's, it it's literally like emotion it's it's like a language of emotions it like on automatically triggers our emotions if there's a sapiosexual female listening right now i think you just uh flooded the basement that was a very very well articulated statement that music of emotions that's pretty good or language or language of emotions yeah that's true though that's the thing is like we don't really have a block against that we hear music we automatically will feel some emotions like and what's interesting about music too is that we call it the language of emotions it's it's universal there's everyone yeah regardless of who you are of how how you're raised where you live in the world this has been studied. Fear, like there's, cer- there's certain sounds for, say, certain emotions, like uh, a scary song sounds the same to everyone. Like a little kid that hears a scary song will feel scared, right? He just knows that it's a scary, it's scary. There's no, he didn't have to be taught, oh, this is a scary song. This is how a scary song sounds like. Mm. No, he listens to it and he's scared. A ha- happy song. You don't have to be told, this is how a happy sound sounds like. You hear a happy song, and it sounds like a happy song. There's no learning involved. Right. You automatically know these things. It's inherent to being human in a way. Inherent actually to being like, I could even you can even say inherent to just life itself. Mm-hmm. Because if you play, um, actually this is my biggest thing is, is music. Um, I love. Yeah, you you've you've talked to me in some detail. So yeah, if you want to go into that, that'd be phenomenal because I. I guess th- that could also be I me mean, if you want to talk again some other time, but yeah, um, really just like the difference between constructive and destructive sounds. Um, there is there is such a thing, right? Physiology, like life itself. So there's a, there's an experiment, right, where they this has actually been been done in South Korea. They have because this has been done a long for a, l- a long time, but they haven't gotten any hard science on it mm. until South Korea did it. Basically, you play classical music, the plants. Right? Oh yeah, and, they and the plants grow faster. Right. You play like metal. A rap, something oh. like that, to plants, and they grow slower. And actually, some t- in some cases, they die. 
Yeah. If you play like heavy, like heavy metal music to some yeah. plants, they'll die. South Korea did was they looked at the plants that are listening to classical music. They looked at um, apparently the gene that's act that's responsible for light reception uh-huh. for accepting light experience more more activation. So the plants themselves were basically accepting more light by being played classical music. So the question is, what is the mechanism of that? I was going to ask you about the reason why plants grow a little faster if you play certain musics. I would love to know, man. I would love to to be able to find out. But the mechanism, I guess, is the gene that's that's responsible for receiving the light. Well, let me ask you too. Okay, so so you and talk about a pine tree, for instance. If there's a pine beetle and they and uh, no, it's a different kind of perennial tree that was the example I I, I read about. But it hears the buzzing. It hears, of certain... Yeah, hears the certain insect and changes its actual chemical makeup in such a way that when that bug comes over, it'll actually choose not to eat the plant, uh, say the pine tree, because the pine tree's already adapted, you know, its uh, chemical makeup to fight that off. Yeah. Okay, so the, uh, there's, you got to listen to the radio lab about this, but there's, have you heard about, like, the, the root systems in, in deciduous forests? Like, even out here, trees that are dying will actually send their nutrients through the root system to a new tree, even if it's a different species. Like, it chooses what tree to send it, uh, its stuff to. Trees can also warn each other about things like fires and whatnot, and they'll actually have responses to that. I'm not saying trees are intelligent, but there is something to this, to to the way the trees, you know, in, for instance, operate. So there's some there's some kind of response. Yeah, and... and there's, and like, an input and a response It's mechanism. so intelligent that you're like, Ugh. I mean, I mean, it's I, interesting. I'm not going to be scared of it. I mean, just... It's part of nature, man. Yeah. That's, a, that's way to be I honest. I was scared. I just think it's fascinating. Like, oh, um, but more more about the music thing. They actually did the same thing with mice, right? Uh-huh. They had an experiment where they there was actually a kid that did he did this first, and then it was recreated because they didn't believe him. So, a kid, he took three groups of mice. One of them was a control group. He wasn't played any music at all. The other group was played classical. Was actually played Mozart. Okay. And the other was played metal. I don't really know exactly what metal, but. We can you can look it up on Google. They were played music 12 hours a day, and then but before this, he tested basically how fast the mice would go through a maze. So on average, the mice would go it would take about five minutes. Yeah. No, no, no I'm sorry, 10, 10 minutes to go through the maze. Okay. The whole time, they he like subjected. I think it was a week of 12 hours of music a day. Right. And during this time, they had acts. They were able to go through the maze. Uh-huh. Right. So they were like learning how to go through the maze. Right. Oh, well, at, at the end of this week, we found out that the ones that were not playing music at all, they reduced their time from 10 minutes to 5 minutes. Yeah. The ones that were listening to Mozart. Holy cow. ones listening to Mozart. Yeah. It was 10 to 1 and a half minutes. And then really? the ones, yeah. And the one listening to rap just like the died. Metal. Of, of the one listening to metal. Despair. Yeah. From 10 minutes to 20 minutes. Really? It increased the amount of time. They got worse. That's crazy. They got worse. And um, so not only did they get worse... We found out that the mice that are listening to the metal ended up killing each other. Mm. They killed each other. The mice that listen to Mozart, not one of them killed each other. Wow. So that just shows that so there's some kind of music that is destructive, and there's some kind of music that's constructive. And if you apply that to plants, yeah. you apply that to animals, mice in this case, what makes you think it won't work with humans? Humans are, are more complex than plants or mice, and we respond to music we're the ones that create music. We're yeah. way more musical than other animals. From oh, other, for sure. Um, I mean, I guess you can argue that, but yeah, of course, we're, music it plays a huge role in our lives. Yeah. You don't think that there's going to be such a thing as constructive or destructive music for humans? No, I don't know, because yeah, important thing to say, because we create music for not only entertainment, but to, to express emotional value. We're, and, you know, in terms of altering, we create music for ourselves in a way, like artists, 
to express and uh, contain emotions. Or whales, maybe, do they create music? Do dolphins create music? Or is that strictly communication? I think it's oversimplistic to say that. Yeah. Somebody said that we're the only species, somebody I know who's very intelligent, said that we're the only species that copulate for fun. But as you know, being dolphins out, do that. What about the baboons out in Africa, man? Oh, yeah. We're out uh, there looking at them things and we're like, hey, the. After a long run, male or female, that that male bab. I don't know. If, I don't them. know if they're doing it for fun because they only they only do it for like a hundred and a half seconds. Yeah, but oh, so you think it's a dominant thing, possibly? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they do it for fun. Who knows? But they're not doing it for very long. That's all I take. <laughs> I'm just kidding, well, ladies. It's more like three. With music, though, I would have to say that there's constructive and there's these destructive sounds. That's interesting, man. Not only from that, there's obviously there's a lot of studies on on its effect on humans. Right. It's it's an incredible amount of info on music effects on humans i'm just showing i'm just showing how it also affects animals and also plants i think it's just something in something about life itself that responds to music people don't understand this but um do you think that's like a divine divinely you know like uh, instituted trait yeah i think so that's cool um but uh so people understand though everything vibrates everything in the world vibrates even down to the very atom atoms vibrate Electrons are moving around in circles, mm-hmm. which causes vibrations, right? Yeah. There's, there's, I wouldn't say circles. There actually is more complex than that. Yeah. Um, there's vibrations going on. The solid is, is not actually it's solid, right? But the atoms inside the solid are moving. They're moving around constantly. It's uh, there's a lot of motion that's happening. Um, hmm. Not all. I mean, obviously, like a crystalline, like let's say something like a, like a crystal. Not much movement going on there. How you actually characterize movement is by temperature. So the more, the hotter something is, the more that it's moving. The more that the atoms are moving. Okay. They're so excited like, particles. Exactly. Yeah. So technically, the atom, the atoms will not move when it's at zero degrees Kelvin, which is negative 273 degrees Celsius. Okay. Which is absolute zero. Absolute zero. Which is yeah. I think in uh, in space it's like four Kelvin, something like that. Really? Yeah. It's it's more than absolute zero. Huh. Um, obviously. Yeah. Um. There's thermal radiation and all kinds of other stuff yeah. just creeping in and out. But that, that's actually the reason why on a cold, on a, on a, on a cloudless night, it gets pretty cold mm. because space is very cold, and there's nothing. There's like less, there's less, in, there's less insulation between right. us and space Understood. when it's on a cloudless night. Right. You gotta think about music. Yeah, everything vibrates. There's, and everything has is basically you can say its own natural frequency. Yeah. Or basically, it's like it, its own frequency right. that it basically responds to. That like harmonizes with the variable yes. frequency in it. That's crazy, um, man. So what I'm thinking is there's something about uh, constructive music, constructive sounds. Because if you think of like there's no a note itself, it's not literally like you. It's not like you have like a destructive note, right? It's about the order of the notes. It's like you have letters. It's not like you have not like one letter is bad. It's the order of the letters that makes something's bad or makes it good, makes it uplifting, makes it like good, yeah. or makes it like evil, whatever. Um, it's the way things are, I think the way music is structured. Actually, it's something that's pretty interesting too. Um, if you were, there was an experiment done that uh, they had like a, basically like a cylinder of water uh-huh. that was freezing. And then as the cylinder of water was freezing, they would play music to it. And then um, they were taking, they took a snapshot of its cross, cross-sectional area. Yeah. Basically like, um, they were able to see that basically like a very complex geometrical pattern like it actually looked like a like a snowflake. Really. Was being formed when I was listening to classical music, like Mozart, Beethoven. Yeah. Um, 
So it changed its fractal pattern of freezing. Like it. Yes. That's it looked, it made it look like crystal, like a very cool looking crystal. What you say? And then they, interesting. They played Elvis. You think of like Elvis is like them gyration whatever. of his hips. Yeah. Actually, the what ended up being formed was something that looked like, like it looked it like it was like starting to, to turn into crystal, and then it went into like chaos. Um, okay. Well, the bass player wasn't too good on so that track. It's so, it's funny, right? Like, literally ice. It's water. Water is, is responding to music. It responds to the the, the frequency vibrations. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, That's bonkers, man. So, how do you know about that? That's interesting. Because... I thought I was a repository for useless knowledge, but you're killing it. That's yeah. not useless knowledge, by the way, but I'm just saying, like, how do you absorb that? Like, I need to read more Science Alert, I guess. No, it's not going to be on Science Alert. You don't, you don't even know places I go. <laughs> no, I can I can share all these resources. It's really it's not like anything hidden knowledge. It's just yeah, it's not all like the dark web for it's intellectuals. Stuff, stuff that just uh, people just don't really look at. But it's like it's truth though. Yeah. Like you can't really argue with the fact that there's such thing as constructive or destructive sound like, or music. Yes, it's obvious. Yeah. You play. Why do you think they play metal to prisoners in Guantanamo Bay? It's like damaging to them. It's like torture, right? You think if they played classical music all day, what do you think? You don't think what do you think would happen to them? I don't know. <laughs> Three like, days of listening to Cher, and I'm telling you where the where well, the goods are at. I'm not Cher is not classical music. I know, but um. So do you think classical music taps in? Like part of the genius of cla- of the classical composers was that they were able to tap into some intrinsic, you know, like characteristic of 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 nature itself. Because it's possible, man. They they fascinating. They they understood that music has. An effect on the mind. They yeah. understood actually the ancients or whatever you want to call them, people from. Even, oh yeah, it was intuitive, right? Even not even not even from like the modern classical music because yeah. like actually classical is like I think it's like eighteen hundreds, right? Or something like that. They yeah, seventeen eighteen. They like broke. What yeah. Whatever. Um, yeah. Now nowadays we just kind of all call it, we call it all classical. Yeah. Even if you go back to the Greeks, even um not even not only the Greeks but even like um ancient China, like. Um, well, do you know, the, uh, just as a quick aside, do you know what the Greek definition of beauty is? It's one word. It's harmony. Hmm. Greeks considered really? beauty as harmony. Yeah, that was their... You know the ancient Greek language is like really like a musical language? No. Um, they spoke, like, the way that they spoke was, it's almost like they were singing. I mean, they were obsessed with music. Um, huh. But they understood that the music plays a huge role on your mind, and that um, even like your nature yeah you can you can play just actually aristotle talked about it how you can play music to make someone um be good mm-hmm. and you can play music to make someone be bad i guess like that's that's crazy not obviously in those words but you can you can uplift someone and you can degrade someone with music i wonder what the greek i wonder what like greek death metal the, the equivalent to greek death metal sounds <laughs> yeah. like. like we're gonna play the lyre but we're gonna play it like <laughs> out of out of tune probably Kill it's you. actually what it was out of tune really Something like that's drop D in the something liar. that's disharmonious. Yeah, is it's it, it's interesting though. Like, is it, um, why do so many so many people like that kind of music? Well, I was yeah, I was it's just interesting that, um, that it's crafted in such a way mm-hmm. that um, they, there's many there's different there's different methods for doing this. Basically, it's crafted in, su- in such a way that it's it's something that your brain doesn't expect. It's hmm. something that's like it's out of tune with your brain. Yeah, and it's um uh, your your brain responds by basically it responds to this stress. Right by actually um, releasing pleasure hormones, they call them like I forget what they call them like gonophads, whatever. Like the hormone, like some of these hormones is actually responsible. Like, like things in the serotonin family and, and dopamine and all that. Or not dopamine, but some of the hormones that are responsible even for like sexual stim- like sexual stimulation. Ooh, la la. 
So that's why you have a lot of music that's like sex music. So I need to play like Slayer to a girl when, you know, right on the edge. Uh, maybe. Who knows? Right. Um, no, I'm serious though. This this kind of music, it like it's stressful to your brain mm-hmm. and it makes it makes you release certain pleasure hormones. And that's it feels bonkers. good. Even though it's stressful to your brain. Is that as like a coping mechanism of the brain? Yeah. And it's but it's addictive feeling. Now see do you so think you get addicted to this music? Intuitively I would think that, that it would appeal to you because of the chaos that is maybe your your cognition. So like say you're You've been abused as a child. Or you have like a crazy ass. You know, it's also like a release, life. right? Cause yeah. It's, like it'll tap. It'll tap into those emotions. Like yeah. Music is like music it is like expression for them. Yeah. Music is like the language of emotions. So you can play like rock is anger, anger and sex. Literally, it is anger. It's like anger, sex, and rebellion. At those, those are like the emotions you feel a lot of times with rock. It's like ah, you know, angry, angry. For sure, yeah. You know, then sometimes it's like, uh, you think of like Led Zeppelin and like sex, you know. It's like, mm. obviously it was, these people admit it to this stuff. Yeah. Like, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. Right? Come it's, on now. It's all, these are these are the emotions that they're, but you think of like kids um, growing, growing up listening to this and uh, they start being rebellious to, the, you know, their parents like in school. Yeah. And, um, just, just saying, it's, it has an effect on people. Okay, so that's fascinating. Um, well, was there another topic you wanted to cover before we wrapped up? Actually, no. I was I was I was been done like a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. That's killer, man. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, I think in terms of life itself, I mean, I have a lot of questions. Like, and and I think we should get talk about some metaphysical stuff. You know, if we do decide to have another discussion, if you want to come back out, because I'm always you know available. This is great. This has been wonderful. But uh, I think I think my number one thing is just ensuring that. You're, I know a lot of people who want to identify a narrative, you know, like say what's taking place in the country, and that that's that's you absolutely have to do that. And that's what's frustrating about politicians today is that they don't, I did even identify the problems publicly. They don't come out and say, hey, we have automation and outsourcing going on. Um, yeah. How are we gonna How are we gonna deal with that? Well, take dismantling the Trans Pacific Partnership, which is itself pretty shitty. That's not the answer. The answer is we need to learn how to deal with the future that's inevitable. So. Technology. Okay, so I'm a, I'm a history major. Technology has no digital technology has no precedent in human history. History has had epochs. So what happens is like you had Uga Uga in the cave. Next thing you know, they create fire. Well, that's a certain epoch. Next thing you know, if you read Guns, Germs, and Steel and believe that, you know the spread of agriculture. Now you have agrarian economies and domestication of grains and animals. Now, okay, so now I'm keeping my shit in a pen and I'm 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 breeding it and I'm also domesticating grains. That's an epoch then, you know, that coincides with, like, the first cities, first communities and developments and stuff like that. Then you say you have the uh, Enlightenment and then the Industrial Revolution and now the Digital Revolution. But this Digital Revolution is an epoch because it it has so fundamentally altered our means of acquiring information and communicating to each other. And as you say, like, being uh, a slave to your damn prefrontal cortex. I had a quick cousin, I'm sorry. Um, being a slave to prefrontal cortex, but it's only growing faster. So everything that the world's ever known used to double from like 1700 to, I want to say 1950. It doubled every, like say 50 years. And now it doubles every two years. So everything that the world has ever known, all the knowledge in the world increases by double. And it's actually, that number is going like Moore's down. Moore's Law, I believe? No, no, that's that's computing power. So uh, that's similar to Moore's law, as far yeah, as yeah, in a way, yeah, it's analogous to Moore's law. That's interesting. But it's what like I'm saying is like increase. yeah, exactly. But every all the discoveries of the world double now every like year and like 
11 months. So, so the, the, what I'm trying to say is that, that there's no precedent for what we're going through at this moment and how it's going to shape our lives in the future. Let's not even talk about transhumanism and our integration with machines, if that's going to happen or not. I think there's one thing that uh, if you're worried about you know, losing jobs, which I think it's obviously like any kind of shift in technology, there's going to be lost jobs. This one's probably going to be even more severe because now it's not like someone else is taking over your job with better technology. It's like... Right. Literally, it's the technology taking over your job. Literally, technology. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think uh, we can we can like argue against all that. I think the train is going there, and there's nothing you can do to stop that train. Right. So we have to have a public acknowledgement um, of that to be able to move forward. But I think like because no nothing is going to stop the advancement of AI. No, nothing's really. China, you know, you, you don't know, think like a civil war, like a global war that costs you know so many lives in every. Well, that's I guess. I guess I just say, besides something that that involves total destruction of the world in a way. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Obviously, you got something like that happen. Like sticks and you know, we go back to like what does Einstein said? We go back to like sticks and stones or something. Yeah. Um, but um, what I mean is like financially, if you want to protect yourself, I think uh, start getting start learning programming. Hmm. <laughs> Well, that's the idea is that, like, I actually, uh, again, on that TED Talk I keep referencing, not to, you know, suck it up too much to that TED Talk, but uh, that that's what somebody said is, like, hey, you think your jobs are safe. You're just going to teach your, uh, say, your coal miner how to do IT work, you know, and we're going to save the coal jobs by switching them to over to IT. But the idea is that, that, that coding is going to become so intuitive as with, like, say, an easy user interface that if you have a plant manager and you have to make widget X, the plant manager will be able to very quickly and easily program his own machines or whatever. So you're not going to have – your IT sector will be large. Your maintenance sector to maintain those machines will have some people. But it's going to be nothing like – say you have a, a, an automotive plant of 1,000 people who are still putting, putting automotive parts together. Next thing you know, 800 of those people are now gone. So, yeah, when machines came into those factories, they eliminated, say, 200 jobs. And but you don't even need coders is is the point that this presenter was, and he is a uh, a researcher in AI in terms of programming, and he said that eventually it'll be self-programming. You know what I mean? You feed it. You always will have to feed it. You know your certain data. Yeah, we're not at that job. point yet, though. We're not. But, but we're we're going to reach the point to where AI is already going to take away jobs that that you can you can't replace. Is but, the idea. But what what I'm saying is, like, that is that's beyond what is going is going to happen which is going to ha- really going to happen is where you're going to have some automated some automation take away some jobs right which is but if you start learning some of these skills actually uh, if you start learning how to manip- manipulate data which is a programming skill that's um, they're saying the void is so big right now for that the void as far as the demand mm-hmm. and the supply of people that have knowledge interesting in, okay and manipulating data yeah which is manipulation of data is actually machine learning. Um, okay. Machine learning is, like, you know, it kind of goes into AI. Right. Um, manipulation of data, because now we have so much data at our hands. Um, it's about deriving um, some, useful inf- some useful info out of that data. And Interesting, yeah, yeah. There's a s- super huge void right now. And that's what I'm saying. Learn some programming, learn some, learn some d- uh, data management, data right. mani- like data manipulation skills. And obviously, not everyone's going to do that. Yeah. But you can do that, and you'll have. Well, like I tried to do that actually. I tried overseas uh, my first deployment, and I, I got my textbook for C plus, 
and I would read a page, and I'm intelligent, so I'd understand it. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't read it, man. There's online programs out there. Oh, yeah? That st- take you step by step. That'd be great. Think of Udemy is probably the best. Well, the, I think the issue is you have to teach it in such a way that people like me who are more physical, you know, exactly. I with my hands. It's, it's, you literally are doing it side by side. Yeah, that's video. great. Because, that's what it is. Because I'd read a page and I'd understand it. Everyone I'm, learns better that way. Right. Doing but then I'd, it. I'd flip the page over and I'd close my eyes and be like, and I'd try to recall what I just learned on the first page and I couldn't do it. You don't, I, I you don't, don't learn, care about it. You don't learn the program by, by reading. You learn the program. I mean, you learn the program by trial and error yeah. and by practice. Because it's like, it's like a language, right? Yeah. You don't learn a language by reading. You learn a language by practicing the language. Okay. It's literally what it is. It's like, but not only is it a language, it's like some concepts that you have to learn, how the, how the, how the computer behaves, um, some things that over time you, you learn. Yeah, most I'm, not, I'm not saying everyone can be good at it. Yeah. Everyone can learn how to program. Well, I think, okay, so like say Trump wants to save the coal industry. So he eliminates uh, you know, all the barriers that you know, were, were standing in the way, which are there for actually really good reasons, um, to, to the coal industry. And, and you even had the, uh, C, uh, the, the chairman of the coal mining union say, hey, this isn't going to do shit. Like, it's gone no matter what we do, which is interesting, actually. But um, you need something to take those coal miners in, what, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Kentucky. What about in China, though? China has accepted coal mine, uh, coal mine shipment from the United States. Yeah, that, that's a potential. But but what I'm trying to say is, like, say in America, a large demand goes down, and, and it's not... Uh, say you have an industry that dies, you know, due to... It's, it's, it's just being uh, antiquated, right? So the industry dies. So what I think, like something for President Trump to do is not to eliminate the barriers that are there for really good reasons in terms of pollution and, you know, switching over to alternative energy and stuff like that. Instead of removing the barriers to that, say, being stopped, you know, using those antiquated techniques, the better thing to do is what you were saying. Come into those towns and and instead of spending money on antiquated, um, you know, sources of, of, say, energy or manufacturing, take money and, and take those people and give them free college vouchers. You know, and and then and then set them up with the the chance for success because people, it, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But if you just make the water available, but the horse can't even smell it for whatever reason, you know what I mean? It's weird. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm a little bit tired, but you know what I'm trying to say is that I think that the the proper initiatives that the government could take to help transition us into the future, they're not going to be indirect. They have to be direct. And I'm not saying it's the government's job to educate people, but people do need to be led a little bit, including myself. So, like, say I do concrete work. If you automated my job somehow, I'm just going to look for a different job that's still going to be physical labor. Or not physical labor, but I'm still going to be something that I can do in my wheelhouse. I think what's going what's to be cool is that AI is going to bring about new different different kinds of jobs. It's going to bring about different kinds of cap- capabilities that otherwise wouldn't have been wouldn't have able to been been able to do right and some people are going to be able to harness these tools right and it's going to create other other kinds of jobs i think mm. i don't think we haven't even well our wavelengths are getting kind of short we're gonna have to get a little close to the microphone as we start talking because we're getting a little tired or whatever <laughs> all right yeah and another thing too man is like functional application of intelligence so like i, I know a lot of intelligent people and we're all like struggling you know what i mean and there's other intelligent people who are doing better and, and there are decisions you make in terms of discipline and life choices but there's also just a to me and i put this post on facebook i think it's true i, I think schools should focus on psychological evaluations in terms of applicability for your intelligence so i was tested for gifted i failed the test because it was it was actually like a uh, an oral test for the most part and I, all i did was chatter through the whole thing and get distracted 
does that mean I'm less intelligent? No, that means I have ADD. And so my and so the, the instructor told me, hey, you are like off the charts. But in terms of the test I gave you, I can't recommend you for the gifted program because, you know, of the manner in which you apply yourself. Well, I can't do anything about that. But I think if schools were able to identify and attenuate, you know, the student, and so instead of me being a plumber, like Not oh, me, you'd be a yeah. great plumber. No, I'd actually be a really great CEO of some company. I could I could innovate. I could invent. I could do a lot of things. So to what you were saying it's it's like I, th- I think those initiatives are attenuating the person you know tuning a person's abilities or even retraining them in school psychologically to where they're able to be more functional with identified tasks so you're not wasting you know your most intelligent people on the trades if that makes sense or even if it's not wasting on the trades I'm sorry well Bro, the I don't school mean that. system is so messed up that <laughs> I mean yeah we can we can talk about changing the changing like the education system but um yeah well not even changing it it's just it's just a new it's a new layer on top of it so right now it's like a cookie cutter right yes you're producing factory workers based on the enlightenment and that's just not what we need anymore i mean you're producing drones in a way yeah and i mean schools are bringing in ipads and yeah they have some programming courses but it's not like the structures have changed it's still hey guys if you want to listen to something really fascinating about education look up uh sir ken robinson and his first TED Talk. Look him up on YouTube. It's funny as hell. Um, and it's incredibly informative. And uh, so he actually, at first and second TED Talk, one of them's animated. Watch those, man. They're super cool. They're entertaining. And they're really insightful and fascinating. And it's a, it's, it's a worthy application of like 20 minutes of your time, I promise you. Um, all right, man. You want to land this thing? Yeah, I'm pretty tired. All right. Well, uh. I got to say, it's been phenomenal, brother. This has actually been a, a good talk, I think. I'm going to shake your hand right quick. Obviously, we're going to talk a little offline. And um, All right, people. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, share with your friends. Give a positive rating on uh, iTunes or wherever you listen through. And uh, I hope everything goes well for you. God bless. Bye, guys.